hello and welcome back to another fact podcast. I'm Dr. Fred Clary, founder of Functional Analysis Chiropractic Technique, a chiropractic technique based on movement and breathing. Well, today we have a great treat. We have me, me, Fred, being interviewed by Dr. Luke Staub, a chiropractor down in Nebraska. He uh, decided to turn the tables on me and wanted to ask me a few questions. So we'll probably do a couple, couple of these interviews over the next year. But I uh, just wanted to cover things like, oh, the purpose of life, how I got into chiropractic, a little bio. And uh, we go back and forth about a little bit about philosophy, a little bit about science, too. And healthcare. We try to, we really um, start talking about healthcare and being a doctor and being a physician and, and being a healer. What does that all mean? So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find some things funny. And thank you for allowing me to be in 21 countries. Well, welcome back to a fact podcast interview with Dr. Luke Staub. And there's going to be something interesting about this one. Um, Dr. Luke called me the other day and said, why don't I interview you? So I said, okay, he's going to change the, turn the tables on me, change the program a little bit. And uh, wanted to interview me a little bit. So I thought, well, we'll see how this goes. This either could be uh, a long diatribe of philosophical rantings, or maybe uh, all the listeners out there will gleam something they can take home. So welcome back, Dr. Luke. How's the weather down there in Nebraska? Oh, uh, you know, the weather's a balmy 25 degrees with a north wind of like 15 mile an hour. So it's just great. It's almost t-shirt weather for us right now. Yeah, we, we're up to like a booming nine degrees. It's supposed to hit 30 so in the next two hours, I don't know how it's going to get to 30, but it's going to be magical. And I guarantee I will see people walking around with shorts here. You know, it's been like, it hasn't been above zero in a couple of days, like minus 10, minus 15. So it a 40 uh, degree change is going to be amazing. Well, I mean, you know, it's a freedom of movement that way. You know, you can walk around in your shorts and uh, no one's probably going to yell at you at all. <clears throat> to be honest with you. Everybody's true. in the fact that, you know. Happy that it's not freezing the second you walk out. But, yeah, that's true. But no, I wanted to uh, flip the script on you a little bit. You know, okay. your, your podcast is getting out there. And I was, you know, sitting there thinking, I'm like, I think we need to do a deeper dive in the man who is the host known as Dr. Fred. Okay. So that's, you know, I figured we'd start off with some fun stuff. Of uh, So, I mean, you're, you've been a chiropractor for how many years? 31 now. Okay. And uh, so just general background what's undergraduate degree what are we talking here what what started you off down the road that you that got you here oh wow well you know even backing up um to just out of high school I always wanted to do some type of healing um some type of you know doctoring quote unquote um I had been powerlifting, so I got uh, really involved in nutrition in high school when most people were more concerned about chasing girls or guys and uh, what they look like, I would bring books like on sports nutrition and, you know, cut out from the bodybuilding magazines and powerlifting magazines, articles on sports nutrition and how to get better. Um, I was bringing chalky, nasty protein shakes to school. Now this is, this is 1980, 81, 82, 83, when there was a, you know, the, the idea that you could mix a protein shake 
and a glass of water with a fork was unheard of. It was more like plaster of Paris. Um, so we've come a long way, but that's what I was studying. And I always knew I wanted to do something in biology. Um, I was one of those geeks that had a microscope um, for a Christmas present when I was like 12, 13 years of age. And I would go, you know, get some pond scum and throw it on a slide and and look, oh, wow, look at all the creatures moving around. So yeah. I was really interested in what made us work um, right. and how to fix that. So um, when I eventually got to University of Maryland, Baltimore County, I was like pre-med, pre-physical therapy, pre-nursing. They shoved us in the, the same group because we all had basically the same prereqs until right. like pre-med, you had to take a higher math. And so I took the higher math and physics for that. But I was really interested in getting out and uh, um, getting involved in that. And in fact, I wanted to do, I was doing cell biology track, but I wanted to be a cardiologist. And uh, I ended up working in a physical therapy clinic in Annapolis, Maryland, um, yeah. as an aide. I started as an aide, a volunteer first. Um, then they realized I was a, uh, you know, 240, 250, solid muscle. I had abs and I was deadlifting around 800 pounds. So when the 300 pound stroke victim came in in a wheelchair, guess who could transfer them easily? Me. So Fred, Fred, Freddie, come over here, Fred. That was, that was usually ca calls for me to get some lifting in and, you know, lifting these people. And so I got to be there real close to see, you know, what some of these, uh, uh, physical therapists could do. And then we got this crazy Canadian physical therapist who came in and worked for a little bit with us. And he, he opened my eyes to a whole different world. So let me back up a little bit. So I was working with, say you have someone has a stroke, that's a brain, right. brain bleed in the, the brain. You get paralyzed to one side, you can't walk, you're in a diaper. And the whole idea of physical therapy was see if you can get them walking a little bit. If you can't, teach him how to use the wheelchair, you know, teach him how to eat with the other arm. So it was more like adaptive therapy. It wasn't right. rehabilitation. It wasn't trying to bring him back to baseline, which is what rehab means. Well, I was watching, you know, then, and I thought, oh, wow, this is good. We, we get him to strengthen the other side. Then this crazy guy comes in uh, and we'll call him Scott because that was his first name, but he comes in and he goes, what the hell are you guys doing? And he's looking at people who've been in physical therapy 20, 30 years with master's degrees, PhDs, and yelling at him. It's like, why aren't you trying to rehabilitate the side that's hurt? And of course, they looked at him. Hey, we've been to U.S. schools, United States schools. We know what we're doing. And he oh, introduced yeah. me to like this Bobath model. It's a, a, a model that came out of Europe, B-O-B-A-T-H, Bobath. And it basically was a, one of the models where you could actually help somebody improve. And of course, me being a genius, I'm like, oh, there's no way. There's no way. You can't rehabilitate the nervous system that way. And he get on people and get them out of wheelchairs in a couple months. It was in, it was amazing. And of course, I'm the one holding them up, stabilizing. So I'm watching firsthand. And he's having me do some of the procedures. Right. So all of a sudden, my eyes, boom, open up. And I was like, oh, the nervous system is... a. Uh, a lot more powerful than it was. And so this is 1987-ish, 88. And then um, I injured my right hip um, powerlifting. I was living on my own, moved out of home, you know, as a teenager. 
um, trying to train, worked two jobs. One of them was physical therapy. And I was also a personal trainer. So I did all these things to, to work my way through college and uh, was still training for the Nationals. And I remember I was training for the Nationals for March 88 in Chicago. And I could only get in two, two workout sessions um, a week. So on a Friday, on a Friday night, I would do like my benches or no, excuse me, my deadlifts. And then on Sunday, I would go to um, go to the gym in Baltimore. I lived a little far out from Baltimore and get a three and a half hour workout in and do things. I need spots on like squats and and benches. But, you know, I wasn't training very well. I was cutting corners. You know, I was always tired working so much. So long story short, I injured my right hip. So I decided I was I was going to retire at age twenty because I had been competing since I was thirteen in powerlifting, strongest teenager in the world, first teenager to pull eight hundred. I think my uh, world record in deadlifting um, I, I was in the two seventy five pound class, but I weighed two fifty because I didn't want to ever diet or cut down weight, and I pulled uh, seven eighty two in the teenage nationals in eighty seven. And that record still stands like 40 years later or whatever. Right. But anyway, I um, injured my hip and I'm like, shit, I'm just going to, oh, I, I shouldn't cuss on this. I got to be careful. All right. So <laughs> I uh, injured my hip and I uh, went, went, decided to go to Chicago anyway. And ended up getting like seventh or eighth when I probably should have placed one, two or three. And, but I didn't care. I wasn't training hard. I had to skip deadlifts. Was you know it it was just a way to say goodbye to everyone, right? I'm looking around, and in the corner is this little guy who weighs about 150 pounds, soaking wet, and he's adjusting people. He's a chiropractor, and he had a little portable table, and he's putting these behemoths down and working on them. They're getting up, and I walk by this guy, and he goes, "Hey, I can you know I can get rid of that limp," and I'm like, "Oh, what are you going to do, you quack?" Because of course I worked in medicine and physical, right? Yeah. And, and chiropractors were quacks. They were way out there. They got their degrees from a Cracker Jack box, all the stuff I heard. Well, basically, he laid me down and worked on me five minutes, and I was out of pain for the first time in six months. So I realized I was the idiot. So when I got back from uh, Chicago, I started looking up chiropractic. I went to the library, went to the card catalog, they didn't have digitized anything. They had little yeah. index cards. You had to go through hundreds of them. Thank God they were in alphabetical order. Um, found the one book in Baltimore about chiropractic, read it, and it was not a good book. And then I started visiting chiropractors and I decided, you know, I really wanted to do like cardiac rehab. I was doing cell biology. I had a few more classes to take to get my cell biology degree. And I'm like, screw this. I'm not waiting. So this is like winter, um, fall, winter of 88. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go to school. So I basically went in the January session and um, didn't finish my degree at University of Maryland. I just said, no, I'm going now because I had all the prereqs. I had everything. And I started there. I did finish my undergrad degree at the Cairo school. But I was like, man, I just want to get started now. And of course, I was hit in the face with what winter was. Oh, oh yeah. I started in January there. I was blown away. But what got me is that you had a profession 
they did so much good, you know, like podiatry or dentistry or physical therapy, but was so maligned until I started studying up the history of it. And I'm like, wow, you know, the big boys in medicine were really scared of us because we helped so many conditions. And it blew my mind. It's like, why wouldn't they just accept something that worked so well and go for it? And then I'm like, oh, it was it was our personalities. We were oh, yeah. very much individualistic as chiropractors. You're talking a hundred year history of chiropractic. You know, we're all like little rebels. We all get together, but we all have grand designs. Um, and we'll get into this later. I'm sure when we talk about healthcare. But oh yeah, I got a long list for you. <laughs> it's a it's a whole different view, and that view of the profession yet that individualistic entrepreneurial go getter try to change it matched my uh my belief in like powerlifting that you can push the body um as far as it can go it's all up to you you know it's very much a responsibility profession versus lay down and give away your authority and responsibility and right. it just clicked with me so went through school and uh graduated 92 um Got my license in many states. Back then, you had to take your test in many states, just not one or two national tests. And uh, then I decided to stay here, you know, and it's a nice, beautiful place to live. But that's how I got involved in it. I, so I've always been right. interested at the cellular level of how the body works. Right. And also, globally, what is the potential for human beings and chiropractic at least the way I learned it in my school um, worked for me. Now saying that I may not have been the best chiropractic student because there's many times that I would find out there's a technique seminar on the weekend. And I would go to that instead of studying histology for 12 hours straight. And no. I would go learn how to adjust and help heal people at these seminars when I was still a student. So when I graduated, I had so many chiropractic techniques under my belt. Um, I was, you know, I like to say I was not afraid of anything when I got out. That wasn't just my um, personality. It was like I kept taking classes. I'm like, you that know, I people, you know, that that's the tools that, you know, you started giving yourself. Yeah. So, so I let you go into that because I want to backtrack a couple places. We're going to okay. go way back. Um, I want to know your definition between a healer and a doctor. You said that in the beginning towards the, towards the beginning of what you were talking about is, you know, use the word, you know, doctor. And if you go back far enough, doctor is essentially, if you go back in the old language, uh, someone who understands the subject well enough that they can teach it. Yeah. And my, that's the definition I know as a quote, as a true doctor definition. And, uh, you, you mentioned the word healer instead of doctor. So I want you to break that down and go a little more detail about that. Oh, wow. You know, this, this could take a long time, but I'll, I'll try to make it digestible for those that are still listening. Right. A doctor, if you look it up on your Webster's dictionary or on your Google, we used to actually have books called dictionaries that had words in them and the definitions and how to spell them. Um, doctor does mean teacher, like a professor, like a coach, um, a mentor, um, as opposed to <clears throat> um, healer, that a healer 
is someone who may may or not be educated, but they have a skill set that helps someone heal. And here's the definition. Anyone can be a doctor. You can get a PhD. You can get, uh, uh, you know, you can get a doctorate of divinity if you're a pastor. If you're an educator, you can get a doctorate of education. Um, if you're a pharmacist, you can get a doctoral degree in pharmacy. Um, they have physical therapists now that are going through and they do an extra year and they get the doctor of physical therapy. Doesn't mean they can prescribe drugs and do surgery. It just means they're educated to that level where they can they can teach. They're an expert, apparently. Um, I can't tell you how many doctors don't know what they're doing. We're going to get to that too. Don't worry. Yeah. So, you know, they, they've passed all the tests. But that does that doesn't make them practical. I mean, there's a lot of PhDs out there. They have trouble backing out of their driveway, and um, you know, if you really think about it, that that just goes with human nature. A healer may or may not have any training. I mean, my goodness. I mean, Jesus Jesus grew up in the in the rabbinical system, and you know, he he was able to hang out. And, you know, talk to all the Pharisees and scribes about what he's doing. So he had some education, but he didn't go to school. He didn't take medical boards, but yet he went ahead, he went ahead and touched people and they got better. Now, before you think I'm being sacrilegious, there, there's a history of healers all over. Now, some of those healers use herbs or, you know, pieces of twigs and bark and, you know, flowers and they get better. Uh, my wife's a midwife, and they used to put midwives to the stake, burn them at the stake, because they called them witches, because they were they would brew up a concoction that would help uterine contractions, that would stop the bleeding, and that was called witchcraft just four or five hundred years ago, and they're burning people for being a midwife, <laughs> and we're still trying to do it today to midwives and chiros. Um, so it's amazing. Um, that, you know, people had different techniques. In the medieval towns, chiropractors like us would be more akin to bone setters, right. where someone would break a bone or dislocate a shoulder. Oh, go see Fred. He'll put that joint back in. And uh, they would they would straighten bones, you know, put a splint on them and say, don't walk on yeah. it for six weeks. And we were the medieval bone setters of the time, the village bone setters. But something, some of those bone setters went farther and they became healers. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they would say, hey, take this herb, take this vitamin. Hey, you know what? You broke your foot. If you put it in the cold river every morning and night, it'll heal quicker. You know? Right. Oh, and again, again, they were attacked by different religious groups. I just don't want to pull out Christianity. Every religious group or um, government authority would go against these healers. Because they they didn't put themselves under any authority except their art and science, which is similar um, to chiropractic the way we started. I mean, right. my God, chiropractic wasn't even legal in Louisiana until like 1969. It was one of the yeah. last. You, you would go to jail for, for adjusting people. Yeah. So putting your hands on people. And when I take, no matter what I did to him, I put my hands on someone in New Orleans in 68 or 67 when I was born. I'm 55. So in 1967, when I was born. If I had something wrong with me as a baby, 
and I was in New Orleans. My parents are in New Orleans, and I they took me to a chiropractor. That was illegal. And if I got better, it didn't matter, right? If I was a baby yeah, alcoholic nope. and it was gone after going to a chiropractor a couple of times, it didn't matter. That chiropractor went to jail in that state. And that happened in the 20s and the 30s and 40s in many states across the nation. Um, you know, because they, they were called practicing medicine without a license. Well, I don't want to practice medicine in the 19-teens and 20s. I mean, my God. You know, if someone had asthma, I, I'm a I'm a history buff, so I have very old um, medical textbooks. I have a four year textbook from um, 1905 from John Hopkins. It's their whole four year course. It's about this thick, and they used to do stuff like smoking tobacco for asthma. Well, I can right. see if I was a chiropractor of that day. Chiropractic started what 1895. If I was right. a chiropractor of that day. And I see what the hell the medical doctors were doing. Oh, you have syphilis infection? Take some mercury. I mean, I'd be like, stay the hell away from that. They're the quacks, you right. know? So we evolved kind of independently from that. So, and that's the way most healers are. A healer is more concerned with the individual's healing and their needs than what, the, what my needs are. Mm -hmm. As opposed to medicine or being a doctor of medicine or a doctor, you follow the rules and regulations of your profession so you can be okay, you can have credibility in the eyes of your profession in the public, where a healer doesn't care. Right. Jesus didn't give a rats. He didn't. He did it anyway. And they won't well, crucify him for it. You know, we were lucky. We just went to jail in our times. Right. So, you know, to be a healer, you know, means that you put your hands on them and your concern is with the other person, the patient, as we call them, or the client. Same with midwifery. It's the authority and the autonomy stays with the client or the patient. And chiropractic does the same thing. We believe that like there's this inborn intelligence. We call right. it innate. We have our own words and vernacular, but we have the, the body has an inborn intelligence and will run its own healing program on its own. Well, we know that's all true. Medicine will tell you that's true. Medicine will tell you if you got a cut and you keep it clean, your body will heal. Well, what we say as chiropractors is like we work with that ability that healed that cut where medicine tries to overwhelm the body. So, right. you know, a doctor's supposed to be a teacher. I consider myself a teacher to every patient, everyone I come near. But I consider myself a healer that uses chiropractic only because chiropractic lately has gone the same path the last well, few decades of You're every other healing profession. You're beating me to the punch right now. Yeah. We have boards, we have rules, we have regulations. I'll give you one. And this, you're going to laugh. So one of the str most stringent states um, when I graduated was the state of Washington. So in 1992, when I graduated chiropractic college, you could only adjust the spine only in Washington state. You could cross the river and go to Oregon and you could deliver babies and do minor surgery. Right. I don't know why you want to chop off a mole and being a chiropractor, but 
they taught you that in Oregon. You go to Washington State, you can't touch a shoulder. You can't touch a knee. I taught, oh, 94, 95, 96. I taught extremity adjusting. That's your arms and legs, shoulders, in, in Washington before I had a clue about what was going on there politically. And I remember one of uh, my students, another doctor, I taught continuing ed. For Doctors got to take continuing ed hours after they graduate to keep up. Right. And uh, this doctor comes in, Luke, and he goes, we did it in Olympia. That's their capital. I go, what did you do in Olympia? We now can adjust extremities. And I was like, well, what the hell did you do before? We just didn't document it. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You have been a rogue profession into the 90s? And they were. Yeah. So right. yeah, they couldn't even take x-rays. Now they can take x-rays. It, it, it's just amazing. And, of course, like you cross the river and the same chiropractor can do everything, you know, what that you would want to do. So it, it and like and there's places like Oklahoma where we're doing we're doing intermuscular injections of vitamins and stuff. And it, it's amazing how different it is state to state to this day, to oh, this day. without a doubt. Oh, yeah. And it's like with you, I know you do uh, you do animal chiropractic, right? There's oh, some correct. states where that's illegal, right? Right. Yeah. You have to be a vet, a vet, right? Correct. Yeah. So, so my, the idea of a healer is someone who's more concerned with the person you're working with, who you're coaching, who you're mentoring, who you're treating. I hate that word, but who you're treating, you know, who you're working with and uses a variety of things. Right. You know, they may use acupuncture. They may use diet. They may use hands-on healing. Um, they may throw you in a, a tub of cold water, you know, but right. they're more concerned about the individual's autonomy too. All right, let's work with what you got. Where I would say medicine is more structured. And as I like to say, a lot of people have to die before we figure out what works because we don't want that social cultural disauthority we don't want to run away from the authority oh i'm a good chiropractor because i use to just do this and this yeah, well, I've so always gonna... been, yeah i've always been a rebel and so... uh i remember and this is when i was taking insurances i think insurance has a lot to do with third-party payers um before i gave up and just went solo strictly cash i mean um i had a, a patient who had a scoliosis and she his she's like twelve. She had like a 30, 35 degree scoliosis. They're gonna they're gonna put rods in her. All these this horrible surgery. And I said, you know, give me give me ninety days. You can always get the surgery, but give me ninety days. And I took out about twenty five degrees in ninety days. I had studied under Doctor Mawani Mawani in Wisconsin. And he was another rebel. He just worked on scoliosis and reversed them. It's amazing. So, of course, I was an idiot, hung out in his office when I should have been in school. Then I took all his CE classes. I have all his books. And uh, he showed me the way to reverse scoliosis. Now, it takes time, 90 days. Right. <laughs> but you can start reversing it. Yeah. I build Blue Cross Blue Shield for the chiropractic treatments. My number one diagnosis is what she had, scoliosis. Right. Some chiropractor re who reviewed it, did a paper review, said you can't treat scoliosis. 
Right. There it is. Hold 700 bucks out of my savings account or excuse me, checking account that the money would go into, you know, for Blue Cross payments because I had direct payments. They took it out. Right. I showed it to the parents. The parents wrote letters, sent copies of x-rays, went crazy because I didn't do it. I was just pissed and didn't want to deal with it. Guess what? They still said we don't care. Right. No. And that's when I decided I wanted to be a healer first and, you know, a chiropractor second. Now, of course, I don't do anything that I can't help. You know, if I can't help it, I I am the biggest person to refer out. I have a big, uh, big network of medical doctors, podiatrists, dentists that I refer to, um, you know, midwives. In fact, I have medical doctors as patients. Um, So I, I, you know, I don't take anything that I don't think I can help. But I just think that once you limit yourself, and this includes medical doctors, once you limit yourself to what the group hysteria thinks, instead of what works in front of your own eyes, what evidence you have, then, you know, I think you're, you're limiting yourself and you've just become, you may be a doctor, but you're not a healer anymore. You're a technician. Maybe that's a better word. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to piggyback, we're going to piggyback, we're going to piggyback a couple of things off this. Um, We're going to backtrack a little bit. Uh, We're going to start with, uh, you already kind of went there, but I was, I want to ask you, you started to hit that iceberg. So let's just hit it. What's the top two things that drive you nuts about the chiropractic profession as it is currently? Oh God. Top two? Top two. I, if, I saw if I went if I went top five, we'd be here until yeah. the cows come home. Um, top two is uh, limiting your scope. Right. Is number one. Um, I treat a lot of mental health conditions, um, strokes, cerebral palsy, dystonia, and I help them more than any other profession out there. Trust right. me. I'll take someone who's in a wheelchair and get them out. Now, again, I'm using some physical therapy principles from Europe. Ooh, I'm yeah. using some physical therapy principles from Poland and Russia. And I add it to my chiropractic technique and I, I become a healer. And if it right. helps them and I evidence by my own eyes, I continue it. If it doesn't help them evidence by my own eyes, we don't do it. It's very simple. We we call that, you know, being scientific. Oh, I, I don't apply things that don't work. Right. Um, quickly. So the number one thing is limiting our scopes. Chiropractors, once uh, like insurance, Medicare started paying for things, which was right. the doom and gloom of the profession. And, you know, I think in the 70s, we got Medicare coverage. So, you know, oldsters can get, you know, they're right. They're get treated. They get Mm -hmm. treated. Well, that's all good. And it shows us that, you know, we are a profession, you know, gives us, you know, some credibility. But here's the thing. It limits us because we could do spine only, I think. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, no. What if I want to treat that knee, that ankle? Yeah, you have a bad back, but it's coming from your your screwed up knee. Let me get the knee. Nope, you can't do that because the third party payer, the federal government says you can't. And I'm like, so now you're changing us to some type of technician or like the entire state of Washington. You have to lie for decades. 
and <laughs> treat it anyway, but not write it down so you don't get right. so I'm I'm really shocked at uh how you would go through four years of undergrad now, say biology pre-med, um, right. biology or science, you know, uh strong. Um, and then you do four years of chiropractic school. It doesn't come from a cracker to doc box. We no, take, it does not. We take the same courses medical doctors do the first year or two. Same anatomy, physiology, histology. We are cutting up dead people just like they do. Um, and we're learning how the body works just like they do. But we don't push the drugs. Well, what gets me is that intense academic background. Eight years, maybe, that you've done. You get out. And now you're going to sell your soul and what you know for that 30 bucks from the federal government for helping the lumbago of that of Mr. Jones. Um, I, I that gets me the most is limiting your scope. I think because what we do as a chiropractor is improve the efficiency of the nervous system, which improves everything. Right. Digestion, how you move, how you love, how you hate, how you earn money. Everything has changed. Your personality. If I get my hands on you, you are a better person than when you came in. And that's my goal. That is my goal. It's, you know, and I was like that as a personal trainer. It it went naturally. Hey, you come and you work out with me. I guarantee you're going to be better next week because I'm going to get you stronger. So my goal is to make a stronger human being coming in to see me, no matter what their diagnosis is. That's an amazing thing. And chiropractors have given that up for neck pain, back pain. Now, here's what I don't get. Um, Car accidents. When did we start doing car body work? I mean, I'll see these advertisements. We treat car accidents. I'm like, hell, I didn't learn how to put a bumper back on. Jesus. You know, we treat work injuries. What work? Oh, my God. You know, I don't know how to put together a conveyor belt. I, right. I, I mean, I treat human beings. So now we've gone after the money in some right. of these cases. We've, we've, we've pigeonholed ourselves into these little tiny cracks and given up, you know, our God-given destiny as a profession to be the healers, the number one healers on this planet that's what pisses me off that's number one you're right that's number one like i said this is why we didn't go five number two things that piss me off the most ah here we go laziness oh boy laziness so we get we get really accustomed and we get settled and we feel good and we get lackadaisical in our profession. We don't continue doing what we know is best. We are not researchers anymore. We are not scientists anymore. Meaning I'm a scientist first, which means I do research, which means I try to figure out how something works. And if I can't, I get help. So if I get a case comes into me that I don't understand, I crack the textbooks, I crack Google, I go to PubMed, I call my friends like you, I call other chiropractors, I talk to medical doctors, hey, I got this case, blah, 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 what else could it be? To educate myself to be a better healer. 
I hate that a lot of times chiropractors and medical doctors and podiatrists and dentists, they're all in the same role. They do the same thing over and over again. If your treatment strategies and treatment plans looks the same as 10 years later and 20 years into practice as it did when you first get out, you haven't learned a damn thing. Right. And, you know, the one thing that does we know is true is science moves on. Um, in my shoulder, my right shoulder, I had, I ripped off three rotator cuff tendons in my bicep tendon. Right. And uh, the doctor I went to, the surgeon, I'm like, oh, I'm bummed out. He's going to use metal clips, which means, and I know from history, I won't bench over 300 on it because the metal clips will tear away once you use heavy weight. And he goes, oh, no, I'm not using that. I'm using, I'm using bioabsorbable like coral, sea coral. I'm like part mermaid now. And this compressed calcium-like material, he he looped looped my tendons, new tendons in there, drove, screwed them into my shoulder. And over six months, my my humerus thought, hey, look at this new bone and pulled the tendon in. You do an MRI of my right shoulder. It looks like what God gave me and stronger. I'm benching 500 again. There's a surgeon that learned. Three years ago, he did that surgery on me. Guess what? 30 years ago, that surgery was not available. So there's someone who's a scientist learning, getting better, not limiting himself. When I walked in, I said, I guess I'm done. I guess I'm done benching 500 pounds. He looked at me and said, I'm going to make you stronger than you are now. And I said, okay, I'm listening. That's, That's the seeing each case as an intellectual challenge. And I hate to say it, absorbing that ego, liking that ego, strengthening your own ego so you get better. All right, I don't know how to treat this. What can I do? Well, I have a lifeline to a bunch of people. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, I can't get this ankle fixed. I I was working on my daughter, Lily. She's 17. 17? Yeah, she's still 17. Um, Senior, she's the captain of the, the cheerleading squad. And she's got a torn up ankle. Well, we looked under ultrasound and we saw some tears. Well, we got her her own stem cells injected in there. Guess what? It healed. It's amazing. That wasn't available 20 years ago. It wasn't available 30 years ago when I got out. As a healer, I'm constantly staying up on things and I want to make myself better to the day I die. And most chiropractors are not doing that. And they malign, they badmouth chiropractors that are. So we'll piggyback a little bit off that. That can go beyond chiropractic. That can go for the whole healthcare system. We're still treating things like we did in 1970 for certain cases. Yes. And there's no way from the technology, from a technology standpoint, that we should be anymore because we understand cells better. We can get more in depth. We can have microscopes that go way farther. So there are certain things that we're doing that we did in the 70s, 80s that still doing today. And that's one of my pet peeves when it comes to the healthcare system. Is oh, I totally agree, even with the pandemic here. And somehow I always go to the pandemic because I can't wait to be there 10 years from now when oh, me yeah. and you are, you know, sharing an adult beverage and laughing. Do you remember when we wore masks outside? I mean, I can't wait for those I didn't, but, you know. What yeah, idiots yeah. we were. But, you know, it it, it, it it amazes me. Here's an example. When SARS-1, which was stronger than COVID-2, SARS-2, 
excuse me, COVID-19, SARS-2. When SARS-1 came out, we tried the mRNA vaccines. They didn't work. We were, And this is 2003. Here it is 20 years later, and now all of a sudden they work. We didn't learn anything. We're still doing the same thing we did 20 years ago. And look, they didn't work. Everyone no. thought I was a Nostradamus. Fred, how did you know that these would not work? you That's amazing. You're so smart. No, I'm not. I can read a book or an article from 2003, 2004 that said they don't work. And they were doing the same thing now. And I'm like, huh, they're not going to work. Oh, yeah, they will, Joe Biden said, our president in chief. You know, they're going to, if you get this shot, you won't get COVID six huh. months later. Well, you will get COVID, but you can't transmit it six months later. Well, you will transmit it, but you won't go to the hospital. Oh, my God. Are we yeah. sheep? So I'm like, I just read books from back then when they were doing the exact same research. And you're ready for this? You're going to laugh, Doc. Some of the same researchers that, that failed miserably 20 years ago pawned off their same research 20 years later and got paid. What? No. So, so yeah, it, it, it's everywhere. It blows my mind. I'll give you one from um, childbirth. This is a big one. In England, they use midwives over OBGYNs. Right. So the, there's like 30 to 60% of all deliveries are done by a midwife there. In England today, they have less infant mortality and morbidity. Morbidity means injuries, you know, disease, right. that kind of thing. Mortality, of course, means deaths. That's a that's that's a country akin to us, as developed, as rich, blah, blah, blah. In America, because the midwives is like two, three, four percent. Now yeah, we have nurse really midwives, but they may as well be OBGYNs because they're medical anyway. But the traditional midwives here is only two or three percent. Guess what? Their statistics are half of medical ones. Now, people will say, well, there's a lot of reasons for that. They don't take complicated cases, all that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But why don't you at least try to follow, I don't know, England's model? So it goes to show you that we just don't learn. We don't no. learn. And, you know, some people would say it's money behind it, politics, social cultural authority. I don't know. But it come. It, it really comes down to, you know, who are you going to listen to? You know, are you going to follow the science, what's already out there, like reading a book from 20 years ago about viruses and COVID? Or are you going to follow, you know, the, what is told to you, which could be, like you said, stuck in 1970? And part of science, I mean, if I have a, you know, microbiology uh, major also. And so part of science is also questioning what is being told to you. I mean, it's really interesting as, as kids and as teenagers and everything else, if we always question parents or we question authorities. But now all of a sudden, one person can stand up there and say this, and we all go, okay, yeah, that sounds great. And where did that rebellion questioning person go? All of a sudden, that you know, the time where could come where you actually need to question and think and and be a, more of an independent thinker and we all do and i think that's the same thing with for, for several professions is we have what i call mob think where you know everybody has to think the same um otherwise you get you know extra ostracized and 
you know, you know, how could you think something different? And I think that starts in the chiropractic. It's kind of leaked in the chiropractic profession now. But, I mean, that's what I always view it as. I'm like, you know, you used to be able to question everything, you know. You know, we're growing up, well, this, this motor can outperform this motor. Ah, bullshit, let me prove it. And now all of a sudden someone can stand up there and go, well, this is how it should be. And we all go, okay, sounds good. Let's do it that way. That That's kind of blown my mind. Um, you know, everybody has say that, you know, you're rebellious or you, you know, I, I don't go with the authorities. And now one authority, one person on TV says this is how it is. And everybody just follows, follows you know, in line. That's always kind of bothered me. It, it's but, bothered you know, me too. And, and let me give you an example. Um, across the street, I'm looking right now at their house. You know, through my uh, my office uh, window, um, we have an OBGYN, and and she's married to an internist. They look at the they work at the local hospital there. Great, great, great couple, great family. They have two girls. Um, we you know say hi. They're good neighbors. You know, right. help push each other out in the snow, have conversations. We're not friends, but we're good neighbors. Um, we're more friends with the MD two doors down, who's a power lifter. But the interesting thing is, during the pandemic, they put that sign dock in their yard that says, we follow science, you know what I mean, to try to get right. people to accept the vaccine. And that blew my mind because I'm like, I do too. I'm a scientist first. And every scientific research um, that I've done showed that it didn't work. And here's the thing, if you're a scientist, and I want everyone to hear me loud and clear. If you get anything from this podcast, it's this. In science, our goal is to prove ourselves wrong. The null hypothesis, we call it, N-U-L-L. And the, the goal is to say, okay, this vaccine will do this. And then I tell my friends or friends all around, say, hey, in your laboratory, in your university, you try to run the same experiment and try to duplicate it, Right. And if you right. can't duplicate it, it ain't science. There was some other reason for it. Your goal, just like Sherlock Holmes, is to figure out every other possibility for the causation. In other words, could something else have happened? Right. And if you prove that it couldn't be anything else, then your hypothesis is correct. You don't just do one or two studies and say, oh, look, my figures agree with what I think. Let's stop there. No, you need more and more studies and more studies and more studies until you get, oh, wait a minute, your study was wrong. You didn't use enough people or you didn't follow them long enough. Look at all the side effects now. You didn't do good scientific science. Science is about not believing what you see and trying to prove it as such. Only during the pandemic did we turn science on its head and say we did one or two studies no one died in the first two seconds after getting the shot, so it must work. It was the worst garbage. And I've seen the original science, and of course, all the everyone's coming out against it saying, yeah, we had people die in it. They covered it up. So, you, you know, it's been proven true, but it's too late. Everyone's got the shot. Oops. Yeah, big oops so, there. Big oops. So my thing is, is like, is it, are you, or what you saying, a religion? And chiropractic started with a little religious to it. It said there was this universal intelligence and innate intelligence. Well, sure, we use big spiritual language of the 1800s. 
It's not 18. Right. You know, medicine no. did too. They had all kinds. I mean, they're giving mercury for syphilis infections. Sorry, you're quacks. Um, and you haven't gotten much better since then. Now, and that means philosophically. I'm not talking about the medicines. There's amazing medicines out there. Amazing oh, yeah. surgeries. But here's the thing. When when Dr. Peter Parton, there, that's my surgeon, worked on me, he had already said there's got to be a better way. Better than clips. Let me try something else. Let me try something else. I was his scientific experiment saying that he could make it tighter and stronger. I sent him a picture after I won um, the bench press nationals and sent him a picture and said, thanks. And he uses me as an example because I've sent him patients since that right. the shoulder can be as good. But if he hadn't told me to go back and try to do it, I would not have. You know, he said, go back and try to bench 500 again. Okay. And it worked. So now he's got all these examples that, okay, this new procedure works. I'm throwing away the metal clips. That's good science. That's good research. That's good experimentation. Right. We, we didn't do that recently. And we're throwing it all away. And it's becoming, it's isolating our society. Just not in science. Racism. Education. We we look for examples of bad policing, we're going to find it. So right. all policing is bad. That is terrible. We look for signs that this group is not doing good socioeconomically and that all that group must be, you know, um, prejudiced against. It's not true. What you have to look is like the whys. Just like when we were little kids. Why is this, mommy, why is the sky blue? Mommy, why... Why is it not raining and it's not snowing? Mommy, you know, why do we do this? Why does this? How does a plane fly? And we have to go for the whys. And we're not going for the whys. We're going, we're listening to these bumper sticker, you know, little hits that you can do on um, sound bites on Facebook or whatever, one or two sound bites. And we're believing it. It's not true. Life is more complicated than that. Oh yeah, you know, we're listening to the the two minute rant of a TikToker, and mm-hmm. and and we're you know spreading that like wildfire. We're gonna back up because you opened up a little bit again. So let's let's view let's go beyond just healers and let's step out to how everything has been affected as a community, and what you consider a good community versus a bad community, and what you consider a, the overall purpose of a community would be. Because well, everybody's in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and everybody has a little perspective on things. But anymore, I feel like we're so sub, even in, in like a neighborhood, but you got subdivided, your neighborhoods are divided up, you're, you know, and then so I'm like, okay, what do you, what would you consider a good neighborhood anymore or being, I mean, the overall purpose of community? Because even when I grew up, you know, everybody in the neighborhood knew everybody, everybody watched for everybody's kids. And now you don't even see kids get together anymore because, well, mom doesn't like this person and you can't cross this street. And so as a society as a whole, what's what's your thoughts on all that? Well, I, I think we're, be, we're becoming more isolated. Um, if you watch uh, the talking heads on news channels, you know, you know, we're finding out that um, if you're a Democrat, for example, or a liberal or a leftist, or a rightist, or a conservative, or a Republican, where when in the old days we all used to try to work together, right? Now, 
whatever reason, we're being more isolated. And we only like to hear or watch or interact with or read opinions that match our own. Echo chamber. Yeah, an echo chamber. That's all we're doing. We're in our own little bubbles. And then when someone comes up and said, hey, there may be something different, um, a different explanation for this or a different way of living, they're wrong. They have to be wrong. Or we call them names. They're horrible ethically, morally. We'll use names like bigot and racist and dumb. Um, you know, we, we come up with these horrible names for people that don't agree with us. Now, again, please hear me. I'm not saying you should be bigoted. I'm saying you should be bigger than that. You should be interacting with people of all races, all creeds, all colors, all religion. I'm a card-carrying libertarian. So this, I piss off the Democrats and the Republicans. I think we should work with all people, but just not idiots. And there's idiots of every flavor. Um, you know, we should we should work on intellectualism. You know, we should work on objectivism. You know, and instead we we're going for emotions. And as I remember, my toddlers, my girls, screaming and yelling because I wouldn't let them get that candy at the grocery store that's right at eye level for them, not me. You know, and I Good said, no, we can't there. have this. We're going to go home and make food. We just got food. We're going to put it away. We're going to make dinner. And the amazing thing was, you know, they would scream and yell because they worked on emotions. They were hungry. They were angry. They were lonely. They were tired. They were misunderstood. Oh, my goodness. If we lived our lives on emotions, we'd still be wearing, you know, diapers. Because learning how to poop in a pot isn't a natural thing for humans, you know. So it, it just it just blows my mind that we want to work with emotions. So lately we've been getting more isolated. The purpose of a community is that each individual brings a God-given or universe-given, whatever you believe, inborn, innately intelligent um, set of gifts, skills to a community and they add to it. You know, you, you know, you got someone who does haberdashery, you know, does hats. You got someone who, you know, works with horses. You got someone who's, you know, works with metals or textiles or the farmer. And that group would get together in a village, you know, and say, okay, I got two chickens. I need some sandals. All right, I'll give you the two chickens and you give me some sandals. Okay. And we had this bartering system. Right. And we worked together and we took the strengths of everyone. Hey, Fred, Fred can show you how to throw the spear farther. Go work with Fred. You know, oh, we got we got to round up some horses. Go with Luke. You know, he's going to he's going to round up the horses. Learn that. And we worked together as a community. We had a common language or so, at least some type of common communication. But the goal of the community was survival and thriving as a community. Now, unfortunately, when one community thrives and the other thrive and they come up to each other they want their resources usually land or um natural resources or people who were resources right. in oh yeah and so that you would have that anger and intolerance but usually that would be absorbed into a larger village or city and we're back into that same cycle 
the mm-hmm. the goal of a community now, since we're beyond all that medieval crap of violence and taking things, and that took us to what the 1900s to get over. We're now in like a social evolution where it's okay for someone to have some differences. I'm all for that. But the thing is, those differences should be celebrated, not totally totalitarian, you know, put into the system. You know, I like to wear Irish hats, just like my uncle and my grandfather. I have many. I'm not going to force everyone to wear an Irish cap. You know, you like to wear a cowboy hat. I'm not, you're not going to force me to wear a cowboy hat. So, so does that behavior make me any more, any less than you? It should not. But we're right. isolating in the community and saying, I'm going to hang out with everyone with Irish caps. And you know what, Luke, you go over to that town and you hang out with the cowboys. And now we're getting to the point where one group was saying, and they could even be in the minority of the population demographically and say, you have to be wearing my caps. You have to wear right. an Irish cap. Well, I don't want to wear an Irish cap. doesn't look good on me. Don't like them. And I have all these cowboy hats. And that looks better on me, I think. No, you don't get to do that. And now we're into totalitarian control. And sometimes, believe it or not, it's a minority. In 1917, 1918... 1919, Russia, one of the largest countries of the world at the time, large population, lots of gun and ammo, lots of money. You know, you had a minority of people who who had read, you know, the communist books, right? Right. All of a sudden, the minority spoke out and you had just oh, a genocide of people. They just killed, 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 killed. And that's a leftist philosophy. Just like the far right likes to use violence, the far left likes to use violence. And they truly changed things. And they found out, oh, wow, a community where you force everyone to wear Irish caps doesn't work. Right. Communities is where you get to wear what you want if it works for you. And then you can share that idea. Hey, when it rains, you know, this doesn't work good. I bet you a cowboy hat will keep more rain off my body. It does for some reason. Wow. (laughs) Go figure Go figure. Well, I'm going to keep a cowboy hat. Luke, how do you wear those? How do you get those? That interaction of the community is what's so beautiful. And here's the thing. When you interact like that, the boundaries between you go away. And all of a sudden you realize that, oh, my neighbor, you know, he really is the same as me and I need to protect him. I need to watch out for him. I need to watch his kids because if I watch his kids, he's going to watch my kids. You know, my neighbor next door and my neighbor next to me always calls me and says, hey, there's a big package on your doorstep. I'm moving it to the back so it doesn't get stolen. That's good neighborly stuff. Or when we go out of town, we have teenagers out, you know, we're we're at at Shanann, two doors down. You want to stop and check on the house when the girls are home (laughs) and make sure there's no red solo cup parties going on, you know, and that's what good neighbors do. I think we've lost that sense of community where we're all in this together to thrive in life. And we know that you can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. I can't, I get help with my wife and my family, but that's still not enough. I need to use other people to get where I need to go, which is, 
at the end, a very successful life that I'm proud of. And I leave a legacy so my kids can pick up that. And it could be finances. It could be philosophy. It could be profession. It right. could be personality. And they pick that up and they have a better life. I mean, I've always been of the thought of, you know, you can celebrate your individuality. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But you also have to give the freedom for everybody to have their own individuality, even if it's not the same thing. But this goes back to there's that one funky word that everybody, some people throw around is this whole synergy of you can have two individuals that can celebrate. and But when they actually work together as a community, you get a better result than if they were isolated living by themselves. And, you know, I look at it like a dance, you right. know. We were listening to some Ramba, or Belinda was listening to Ramba as she was meal prepping the other day. And she tried to catch me, and I, my hips don't move that fast. But she goes, okay, I'm going to teach you this, you know, left foot here, right foot there, go back, all that. And it's like, you know, your cowboy dances, you know, there's certain steps. And when you coordinate that, right, it looks beautiful. When you right. have a community coordinated in synergy with each other, it works, the kids have good confidence in education. There's good strategies for public safety. And everyone does well. And it doesn't have to be on the backs of other people. Now, we're now out there saying, you know, we have to do this on the backs of other people. And that's not true. I don't have to follow your beliefs. I just have to respect you as a human being if you're not stepping on my foot, too. Right. So that synergy is beautiful. I think that should be the goal of community. We're not teaching how to be, we're not teaching our kids how to work in a community. We're just not. Um, though there is some hope. Um, my junior, Callie, and her friend Delaney were in the same class. And they, they have this short little course called Be the Change You Want to Be or See. Be the Change You Want to See. And I'm blown away that this is a course in high school. They just added it, that they're basically teaching people to work in community. Finally, finally. And I hope, I hope, I, I mean, that makes me real happy. I'm like, or at least you got exposed to this. It's just not a, you know, a bumper sticker slogan or some, you know, little soundbite you, you say at a cocktail party. It really is true that we want you to work in community. What's your problems with community? Is it homelessness? Is it poverty, lack of education, lack of opportunities? How do we bring those back? Right. And that's where one community has to work with another community. If the steel factory closes because of economic strain in some, uh, some town, how are you going to get those people back on their feet? We have no strategies here in America. Some countries they do. But we don't have those strategies. And then, you know, how do you build that pride back up? How do you build that synergy back up? Um, we're seeing these problems left and right and, right now. And it leads to violence. It leads to hopelessness. Right. It, le it leads to biases where one group of people doesn't like another group of people because of this. Well, that was a small thing. How can we interact, you know? It was, and I'm not saying we don't have horrible examples of uh, maligning different groups. I oh, mean, there are. Past, even now, with the thing that happened in St. Louis, it's horrible. But here's the thing. Instead of saying that's bad, 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 punish them all, 
Why aren't we saying it's bad, bad, bad? How do we do it better? How right. do we do it better? How could this be avoided? You know, and we're not doing that right now. We're getting emotional. I fell off my bike. I fell off my bike. Yeah, you fell off your bike big. Someone died. I fell off my bike. I'm never getting on the bike again. Get rid of bicycles. And nobody should ride a bicycle. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's that's what we're doing. Right. So I'm going to ask a little more in-depth question since we're in the community. As a society, what would you consider the two biggest lies that have held people back? That are commonly, just like common things. And I'll use an example like the biggest pet peeve is when you, you want to do something new or different or you want to change careers and everybody's like, you're too old to, to, you know, to be changing careers or to be moving or to learn. And so that always drives me nuts because like your wife is a great example. You know, she's, you know, we'll say in her, you know, she's in her forties and she went back and got a midwifery degree. And for a lot of people, that's like taboo of like, why would you do that? You know, just stay in your lane, do yeah. your thing. Do your 40 years of hard labor, and then at 65, we'll give you some cash to kind of survive and, until you die. I mean, and I feel like that's a big part of society anymore is just pull your weight for 40 years, and then you have 15 years of hopefully decent life, then you're done. Oh, wow. This is big. This is big. Um, as I like to say to, to my patients and to people, the greatest addiction – of the human race of the human being is not to drugs and alcohol. It's to the limiting opinions of other people. Ooh, there it is. We are addicted to other people's opinions. If I was addicted to other people's opinions, one, I wouldn't be a chiropractor. I'd be a cardiologist somewhere or cell biologist. Um, I wouldn't continue powerlifting into my middle fifties. Um, I wouldn't take on, um more kids you know we got the brady bunch here plus right we don't have alice helping out you know we you know i would if i listen to all those opinions you know even in chiropractic fred you can't treat this condition you can't help the people with this condition oops there it is they're better what am i supposed to do give it back to them sorry you know you're right. not, you know you i got to give you back your schizophrenia I'm gonna you know, glue you back in. Your, I'm gonna glue you back in your wheelchair. That's where you glue you be. back in your wheelchair. Here, here's your cane back. Um, yeah, it, it just drives me crazy. So, yeah, the limiting opinions of other people, but that had a purpose, you know, thousands of years ago. Why? Right. Because we, and, and I, I hate to say, it, it comes from when we we're Neanderthals and Cro-Magnon men, when we were these hominids, hominids, separate walkers, these early versions of humans. We knew that this group was disease-free. We were inbred is what we were. Um, This group is disease-free. I know how the common language. So we had a common purpose to try to survive, not, you know, to retirement when we get all that retirement cash and a gold watch. No, the next day, right? Right, yeah. 24 hours. You know, we were pretty short-sighted. And so we, we, we hung out with people that were more um, like us physically, you know, and had the same things. Oh, yeah, you're a man, go throw a spear. You're a woman, go pour the corn. And that's what we did, and it worked. It did work. Because the goal was not, you know, have this successful, beautiful life. It was 24 hours. Well, we took that into civilization, what, 3,000 years? 
And then all of a sudden we stratus started stratifying people. You know, you're a farmer, you're a worker, you're this. That's all you can ever be. Right. God, I, you know, I hate to, I hope my, uh, all my siblings are not listening, but I hate to out them. Like, you know, when I told them I wanted to be a doctor, wanted to be a chiropractor, they kind of laughed. You're like, you're not smart enough, Fred. Why test out over Mensa level? Sorry. And yeah, I am smart enough. Um, not trying to be cocky. I'm just like, they were so wrong. And there was no apology. There was, I never got a Christmas card saying, I'm sorry. Um, and that's okay. I just went forward. Luckily, right. I didn't have to wait for their apology. Luckily, and here's the second thing, because you asked for two. Here's the second thing. Waiting for someone's permission or approval before doing something. Oh, there it is. So addiction that's to huge. other people's op- limiting opinions of you and waiting for permission. All right. You know, it, figure it out. I I didn't wait to finish my undergrad degree to start the chiropractic college. I found a way to do it and finish right. it off while I was here. I worked around it, you know, adapt, modify, overcome, just like Clint Eastwood said, you know, adapt, modify, overcome. So that's what I was trying to do is always adapting, modifying. Well, if this won't work, let me try this. If this won't work, let me try this. Um, down to the physical level. Um, and right. you know this, Luke. You know, I had a bad back for a couple of years. It's getting better now. I was deadlifting last night. But I couldn't lay on a bench press, uh, a bench, totally. So I had to put my feet up on blocks. I had blocks made and brought them to the Nationals and made yeah. sure they were legal. Because you put them out for me. Yeah, I was, I was the block guy for that meet. You're the block yeah. guy for that meet. So I was still able to bench 500 by putting my feet up a few inches and, you know, not hurting my back. I found a different way. That you will have people in your life, your teachers, preachers, family members, you know, I hate to say it, even friends that will tell you, you, you know, you have to wait for permission. <laughs> right. To get yeah. this done. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's a good time for you. I mean, is that really a good idea? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're good at what you do right now. Why would you want to go do something different that has yes. an unknown result? Yes. And, and I so, think that. I think that comes from a modern idea and it's more competitive and the people saying that won't admit it, but they're a little jealous. Right. Because tell me anyone in this world that's satisfied with anything. Nobody, no, nobody's satisfied. I mean, they, they've done more interviews on billionaires who are completely unsatisfied. Um, I mean, they have all the money they can buy the biggest yacht and they still have, you know, aren't happy with where they're at. And Dis- you had a, had a podcast. Yeah, you had a podcast about that. I think it was our first podcast we did yeah. together. Yeah, and and I was sitting there thinking the other day because someone asked me a question. Um, you know, it's the same thing as we also skirt responsibility of. I think that's our way of skirting responsibility as a society. Is well, I don't have a degree in that, or you know, we'll date people because. Well, I have to ask my other half because I don't want to take responsibility for actually making a decision. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, I think that we hide in relationships and we hide in, well, you know, what, what's this family member going to say or what's these friends going to say? But, you know, and that's one of my things I've noticed more in society is like, well, you know, you shouldn't do that. You went, you went to school, you have this degree, this is where you should be. And I was like, I, you know, uh, there was a show the other day. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Sylvester Stallone. It's called Tulsa King. Yeah, I watched that. It's great. Okay. 
and and his definition of college like hit me kind of hard. And I mean, I know it's a show, but it's why I was like, oh. And he's like, it's not the degree you earn of what you specialize in. It. He goes, is the whole point of getting a degree is to show up that you can show up on time. Yeah. Get things done on a timely basis. Yeah. Get a and do it at a high enough quality that you get a passing grade and that you've continued this over four years to show that you can actually be a productive member. Because it doesn't matter what your degree in as much as you've shown that you can accomplish these goals. And I was like, well, that's a different perspective of looking at it. But society, I feel like, is, you know, well, you've, you know, you've been a chiropractor in Minnesota for however many years, Fred. And why would you want to, you know, not that you're planning on moving, but I'm using an example of why would you want to move somewhere to Florida where you don't have any patients, you don't know anybody down there, like, why would you want to do that? And you and you sit there and go, because I like warm weather and it's a fun, and it, you know, and you bet on yourself. And it scares people when you pull your dependence away from other people's opinion to bet on yourself that I can do this wherever I want to do it because I know what my skill set is. And, you know, and this is just one of those things. And that's where we like to be held as a society of like, stay in your lane, stay in that. And that's one of my biggest lies that I feel like we get told as a society. And the other one, and then we'll get back a couple other questions for you is uh, the, the infamous words of you, what you ever heard the, the greatest days of your life or high school or college, you know, those will be the best days of oh, your yeah. life. Oh yeah. So the average person lives was 78, 80 years old. Yeah. So the, so the greatest days of your life end at 24, you know, and Ed Milet talks about that of, you know, when you quit growing as, as an individual, you die at 23. We just don't bury you until 75. Yeah. And, and, I, and I know a lot of people, Doc, and so do you, that, you know, you know, we need to cremate them now when they're in their 30s and 40s. We have these patients that walk in and you're like, you died in high school, you know. Right. There's there's the the guy at the bar who's still talking about his glory days in, in high school football. And I'm not saying you should not recall that once in a while. Right. That should be a reminder of your continued potential, not right. at the end of your potential. You know, the greatest days of your life are the current minute you are in right now. Correct. And it's if it's not, not where you want it to be, it's also your responsibility to make the most out of that minute, second, hour, month, year, however. It's your job to make the current situation you are, the current state you're at, the greatest it could possibly be at this moment. Exactly. And this is what I, I try to tell patients, my kids, everyone. I try to live this. It's like, even when it's raining cats and dogs on your life, it's terrible, whatever. And we've all had horrible things happen, oh, deaths, loss of money, loss of job. We've had it all. Everyone's had it all if you've lived to 30. You've had something. Even when that's happening, what can you do that moves you forward? Can you go for a walk? Can you work out? Can you read a book? Can you say, all right, I'm taking a time out. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to watch a comedy. Oh, I'm going to go help my neighbor across the street rake some leaves. Why? Because I'm down and depressed because I lost my job. But grandma over there is trying to rake leaves. I'm going to help. You'd be right. amazed by making the current moment the best you can be, how that improves your life. How does that improve your life? And yeah. a lot of people say, oh, Fred, that's Pollyanna. That's too good to be true. And I'm like, there are people who's never tried it. I always say try it once because it's one of those things that once you try it once, you can't go back because it always is true. You know, it is always a true um, it, 100% of the time. So, you know, how do we get to the point where we allow 
human potential to be so reined in, roped in. I don't know. You know, but the biggest, some of the biggest jumps in businesses come from recessions. Yes. Some of the biggest growth in your, like, not some, the biggest growth in your life will happen from one of the biggest disasters of your life. Yes. But, but you've got to be willing that, you know, you, you can't be the tortoise, you know, and just sit there in your shell. You're going to have to look and be like, okay, how do I get out of this? You know, you to sit there and be like, well, I'm going to sit in the room and I'm just going to wait for this to go by. You know, it's, it's the people who are moving, you know, and it sucks. It's long hours and you're grinding with the people who are moving forward in the worst times that will have the biggest growth business wise. A lot of things, you know, I, it's, that's, that's the resistance training of powerlifting. Yeah. You get the biggest growth when you're trying to pull the most weight. Yes. And, and here's the thing. How do we get that? We call it progressive resistant training, right? P-R-E's, right. progressive resistant exercise. You start with 100 pounds and add five pounds every month. Guess what? In a couple of years, you're doing 300 pounds. That's how it works. Slow adaptation. Your body, your nervous system, the universe will adapt to your positive changes. It will also adapt to your negative changes. Right. And that's the hard thing. Mindset um, is a huge thing, part of that, too. Yeah. How, how We look at lifestyle, heart attacks. We look at, you know, strokes, you know, cancer, you know. Oh, you know, there's no cancer in my family. You're right. But nobody in your family drank four Diet Cokes and ate McDonald's every other day, too. And now look what happened. You triggered cancer. Um, you know, horrible things, you know, would have, would that person have gotten cancer? Um, you know, if they didn't eat all that stuff and didn't do the Diet Cokes, I'm going to submit to you. No, 30 years of Diet Cokes is going to do something. Three days won't do anything. Maybe even 30 days won't do anything, but 30 years. Yes. So, you know, 30 years of eating chicken, rice, steak, taking vitamins, working out will do something. My wife went from powerlifting to bodybuilding and I watched her change her meal plans and how she exercised and she got ripped, you know, won all the local shows and got fifth in the nationals in her second show. And I'm like, boom. And she looked amazing. And that took maybe 10 months. And I'm like, right. my God, if I had a patient with XYZ disease and they've had it for years and they keep going for different doctors to get different medicine. I'm like, why don't you try to change something small? You don't have to go right into these crazy diets. All no. right, I'm going to take this out this month. And we could even write it out. I actually do this with patients with heart disease. All right, this month we're taking out high so sodium. And the next month we're going to take out some of the whites, white flour, white milk, you know, white sugar. We're just, we're doing one thing a month. That's it. One little thing. At the end of the year, they're healthy as a horse. And they're like... You know, I, I fainted yesterday. You're still taking high blood pressure medicine? Yeah, take your blood pressure. Oh, it's low. Go to your doctor, get off that high blood pressure medicine because you don't have high blood pressure anymore. You right. know, you're living. And get your EKG, but your heart's better. So, you know, it's it's not a miracle. It's just understanding how the world works, that we're constantly changing. We're either changing for the positive or negative, you know? And uh, what's the saying? Yeah, that was from Shawshank Redemption, that movie, Shawshank. Um, you either you get busy, get you either busy, get busy living, living or get busy dying. Get busy dying. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a beautiful phrase because there's no in-between. There's so no neutral. 
that gear no. does not exist in biology. <laughs> so we're going to hit you with a hard one then, since you already went there. Let's 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 top this, put a cherry on this thing. Fred, what's the purpose of life? Oh my goodness, that that's the most amazing thing. So so for the non geeks out there, I'm going to try to explain this slow. So the number one law in physics or science or the world is entropy, which is everything goes from a higher state of organization energy to a lower state. Everything decays. Everything breaks down. So, you know, a big sun, like our sun is slowly dying in, you know, the sun we travel around in this solar system. It's slowly dying. It's dying so slow, though. You know, we're not going to notice it in our lifetime or a million lifetimes, but it is. It'll end up being a weaker, smaller star. Everything breaks down. Everything rusts, you know. You know, even if you put a Twinkie and open it up, in two, three hundred years, it may break down, you know. But everything (laughs) breaks down. Here's the thing that blows me away about life, biology. Our whole purpose is reverse that is anabolism is building if you think about it life takes resources and builds bigger things we go from being a baby to an adult again a baby to an adult if we followed the law of science we would start off as an adult and go to a baby so the this is what this beautiful experience called life goes against the first law of physics, which no one talks about except an 18-year-old Fred in physics class when I raised my hand and said, well, the law of entropy doesn't carry through. And he goes, well, it works for everything. I said, not for life. And he was trying to say, well, you're breaking down as you're is. But I'm building up too. Right. A rock can't build up. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's a, one way for A that. fire, if you put one piece of wood in a fire, it doesn't get bigger over time. So we and we went back and forth and I got the professor on it, you know, little old Fred at 18. I got the professor on it and he goes, you're right. And I go, I know I'm right because I observe it all the time. We just don't talk about it. I use resources to build myself back up and then ready for this. I work with other biological things, my neighbors, my friends, my family to make something bigger. The purpose of life is to thrive and leave something behind for someone else. The purpose of life is thriving, is success. It is nothing else. It's thriving. It's to go against the laws of nature and guess what? Control them, manipulate them, adjust them, flex them. The whole purpose of life is to thrive. Here's a good thing. If you're in your life and things are going bad, It's a very simple thing. Am I following the rule of life, which is to thrive? Oh, I'm smoking. I'm drinking. Well, that doesn't work all the time. Drop it. You're not thriving in that environment. Am I thriving in this job? No, get a different one. Get more education. You want to thrive. Is this relationship working for me? No, I feel bad every time I get home. She's witching at me all the time. All right, get rid of her. Start thriving. And that sounds harsh, but that is the purpose of life is to evolve is to get better. We go from a lower order to a higher order. You know, when we were Homo erectus, everybody was covered with this fur. We were skinny, five foot, 
and we were more comfortable in trees than we were walking. And we were chewed up by hyenas and leopards in Africa. And here's my thing about people that are racist. You're crazy. We all came out of Africa. So who cares? But anyway, you know, if you go look at, you know, how we thrive, we thrive as human beings is to get more complicated. It goes against all lives. If you look at biology, what do they do? They'll, they'll attack, they'll eat other resources to thrive, to give birth, to, get, to make themselves more. Life goes against rocks. <laughs> it just does. It, <laughs> biology goes against all the physics we learn. And that's the most beautiful thing. <laughs> it's an oxymoron. Well, this is the number one universal principle of physics. And of course, everything living and breathing goes against it. Right. But as a society, I'm, I'm going to default to this again. We still sit in survival mode instead of thrive mode. Yes. The survival mode is more is a comfort zone. Yeah. It is the comfort. I stay here. I do this. I wake up. I do the same thing over and over and over. And But to thrive means we're forever going to be in a state of uncomfortableness because in order to grow, you have to step out of it. And it's just interesting because that's, you know, and – and, you know, ideally, the biggest jumps, well, I mean, you look at Elon Musk, you talk about a guy who lives outside his comfort zone, and, you know, but he gets picked, you know, everybody's like, well, he's this, and he's this, and he's this, I'm like, this is the dude who, his whole life is about thriving, like, hey, yes. how can we make this better, how can we do this, how yes. can we do this, Yes. and, you know, somewhere along the lines, we, because, I mean, you look at kids, and you look at the ideas they have, and somewhere along the lines, I feel like we switched we get beat into us that we're not supposed to thrive. We just need to survive. You just need to have your house, your car, your job, and just stay and just survive in your little bubble. And I think if society, if we change more towards thriving, where we, we do more, we educate ourselves more. And, you know, I'll say it, we stay, you know, we refrain a little more from, from alcohol and drugs or smoking or whatever. And we do a little less gratification that way. And we find, and, and humans are driven by gratification to, to I mean, that's, that's what, yeah. we, you know, Freud was all about that. But I, I think if we would change society's thoughts on self-gratification as in, man, I got drunk or did this, and we did it more as, man, I accomplished, you know, my, my business was hitting these marks. Uh, I've hit these marks in the gym. I've got these books read. And we focus on that as more of a gratification slash reward system than you know, the other half of it of, you know, entertainment, if you will, I think as a society, we'd have a huge boom in thriving and you'd have, uh, you know, you can be as smart, you can have all the degrees you want, but you, if you don't know which way to look when you cross the street, you know, that you know, that's an Elon Musk kind of thing of like, yeah, you can have a bunch of educated people who are still idiots, um, yeah. you know, but you got to know how to apply it too. But it, it's always blown my mind. Everybody goes, you know, like, you know, back in high school, I'm like, well, that was high school. Like, what are you, what are you doing now? Like, let's make this better now. Let's, let's get you to, to enjoy where you're bragging about what you did yesterday instead of what you did 20 years ago. Yes. I, I think that sometimes we give lip service to uh, thriving, you know, Hey, you know, go to college, you know, get a good, go to a trade school, you know, make good money, have the best looking um, wife or husband or, or partner. Um, you know, make sure that, you know, you, your house looks good. You know, mow the lawn because the guy next to you mowed his lawn. Well, he's right. got two gardens. I got to have three, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. 
sometimes that's a little competitive and and that that could be seen as thriving but i think what i like to like to say is are we thriving as a nation as a state as a city as a village as a neighborhood you know uh, bj palmer called it the big idea that if we try to thrive and move forward with every adjustment with every change that we do we change everything else the butterfly effect you right know, the first domino effect and i think that's where you start well i don't know how to run my own business uh, didn't say run your own business how about make your bed and go to the library and get a book on businesses or the hobbies you like and spend a year or two learning how to do it so you can leave your job and I think it just it just has been born into us by uh, the way we are trained um, at a young age. Or I shouldn't say born into us. It's been pushed into us, um, it beaten into us it, that, you know, you have to have the, you know, 2.5 kids, the house, the white picket fence. And that that's all you need. And that's success. Where for you, that may not be success. You may be, I need to travel in 50 countries before I turn 18. You know? Right. Wow, what an amazing thing. Um, yeah, I want to go to college, but I want to do it here. I'm going to go to a different country. Or, you know, where, where is the sense of adventure that led, you know, Homo erectus to leave the cradle of Africa and spread out? Right. You know, we weren't pushed out. We weren't invited out. <laughs> Oh, oh no, no, there was things we that didn't want us out. When we killed off the woolly mammoths, because we ate them all. Um, you know, they were tasty. The, Come on now. It was it was climate change. It wasn't climate change, it was human. We got, we got hungry, all right. It's all right. We, got we, hungry. Big, we yeah. like big elephant steak, it's fine. Yeah. You know, so so that's that's the thing that gets me. It's like, you know, what forced you know that early man out of the cradle of Africa to spread out everywhere. You know, that sense of adventure, that sense of thriving, that sense of curiosity. We don't right. teach curiosity anymore. You now, know, to, to go off that, would that lead, and in my opinion, this is a true statement, would that lead to why we are no longer, I would consider us the superior nation of the world? Oh, America? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we used to be like early 90s. I mean, we were the industrial age. We're like, we're the guys you like, you know, the guys who uh, was it uh, speak softly, but carry a big stick. I mean, we had the stick like no one messed with us because like, yeah, we bring the hammer. We got technology that you haven't even thought of yet. And now I feel like competitive edge, like you can't have the competition. You can't have the thrivers because instead of us trying to keep up with the thrivers, we're anchoring the thrivers down. So they have to maintain with the survivors. And I feel like that's brought our superiority as a nation, the wrong direction, because and, it used to be, instead of trying to keep up with the high intellectuals and trying to keep up with the guys who are setting the pace, we're now putting weights on them. So they can't get so far ahead. And now instead of bringing the bottom up, I feel like we're bringing the top down. Oh, I totally agree. We are bringing the top down. Um, we've been doing that probably since, I want to say, the 80s, the 70s. And let's say it was the 60s. And I'm not trying to blame the free love hippie movement, you know, where people dropped out of school, drop out, check in, you know, and they did drugs and all that. I mean, there's always been 
groups, the beatniks in the 50s, um, the speakeasies in the 20s with the flappers, you know, women right. barely. I mean, people talk about, oh, look how scandalous dress, you know, these people are. A hundred years ago, they were walking around St. Paul. Women didn't wear bras and were wearing tiny little mini skirts. That was the 1920s. So, you know, cultures go through those phases. Right. But what gets me is why aren't we trying to look up to people? We do it in sports. Everybody wants to be Tom Brady, right? You know, I'm a quarterback. I want to be Tom Brady. But we don't do it. Hey, why don't you be like Elon Musk? I have not heard any of my girls come home and say, my teacher told me I want to be like Elon Musk or Oprah Winfrey, a billionaire. Nobody says that. Why don't they? Hey, why don't you see what Oprah did? Why don't you see what Elon did? Look at the, the, the empire they built. Go, 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 go. Where capitalism isn't isn't pushed, and I don't know. I, I have my theories why why we're doing it, okay. um, because the the uh, the minority is very vocal, right? And they they're pushing for changes, but the problem is the pendulum may have swung too far the other way, where we're not celebrating these people that are very successful. I mean, I celebrate people who get straight A's. As much as I could, oh, you know, you got a D in that subject and you work your way to a B, that's fantastic. We're not celebrating the positive change. We villainize. It doesn't matter the outcome because there always will be a good outcome, but we're not not celebrating working for positive change every day. And that's some of the most amazing things you can do for yourself. It doesn't matter what your significant other says, what your culture says, what your chosen or biological family says, you know, friends in your family. It doesn't matter. You know, if you're working for positive change in this culture, we have people that would try to pull you back. Like, oh, yeah. Why are you going to that school? No, you can't leave, Luke. You can't go to Arizona. You can't go to Arizona. How are you going to make it? You know, right. You know, Fred, you can't, you know, start lifting again. You're crazy. You know, um, all these things that I've heard. And if my sister's listening, love you, Liz. But you also told me not to get married again. Best thing I, I could have done. And I'm not trying to out anybody. But right. I remember I remember my, you know, sibling telling me, Fred, this is your third marriage. Don't Maybe it's you. And, I'm, and that could be true. Guess Wait, what? Best thing I ever did. Best 10 years I've had. Pinch myself every day. You know why? Because I kept trying to do better, move forward, you know, right. work on myself, work on interaction and open my eyes and see more. And guess but, what? It's possible. But you just hit it. Maybe it was you. And early on in your 20s, early 30s, it could have been. But what did you just say? You worked on yourself and made yourself better. Yes. And so instead of and, and I get guilty of that once in a while. Instead of being like, man, it must be nice to have that. It's like, okay, how do you get it? What do I got to do to change to get to that person's hat? Because in order to achieve the next level, you're going to have to change the situation you're in. You're going to have to change your comfort level and all that. Um, and there was, you know, but yeah, sometimes you're going to have failed things. Sometimes you're going to, you know, not succeed at something. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean that's a def- And that's not the defining moment of your life. And I feel like we also get to that is like, well, you failed once, you know, sit back, you know, let's, let's not, you know, let's not step out because that water was hot. So don't step back in the water. You might burn yourself again. No, maybe I'll do a better job of, of testing the water or finding a better location to swim, you know, things like that. And 
so there's there's always those things. You know, same thing as when you talk about Fred. Why would you start powerlifting? For those who didn't know, Fred took how many years was it between when you were powerlifting as a young man to versus when you started 18 again? Eighteen off, eighteen off. Yeah. I mean, you, you take. I mean, the same thing is like Fred. Why would you start a podcast right now? I mean, yeah. Don't you have enough things? You have you have you know all these kids and you have your wife who's going to school and and you're teaching and why would you start a podcast? You know, it's the same thing as is just because you can't understand it, but instead of trying to, to criticize someone of like, well, don't you have enough on your plate? You know, do a little introspective of like, well, you know, does he get, you know, why wouldn't you want to do something like that? Well, I, I don't have the knowledge in it. Well, why don't you have the knowledge in, in the things you're at to start your own podcast? Ideally, you know, you would want those things. But yeah, it's always interesting. Like I said, that's my biggest pet peeve with society is, well, why would you want to do that? You failed at this before, or, you know, you're going to jump off the boat in the unknown ocean, you know, you're going to leave, you're going to leave the business you've had for, you know, 10 years and you're going to jump down to a different state where, you know, like maybe one person, why would you do something that crazy? You know, why, why would you move to Arizona, Texas, Florida, somewhere South? You know, there's a lot of people there and there's the housing price is high and, and everybody gives you all the negatives. Well, as a society, if we could focusing on why we would avoid something instead of, and start focusing on why not do something that might change your whole perspective in general of like, well, why not? Well, they can't give you a why not. They can give you a why you shouldn't, but they can't give you of like what the possible benefits would be if you made it this way. Yeah, I, I think I think you hit it right on the head, Doc. I think we're so used to looking at the negatives, which is OK. You have to look at the red flags before you do that. But we're not looking at the positives, the white flags, the things that's going to work out perfectly. All right. Let's let's look at the pros and cons, as Benjamin Franklin said. One, you put the pros on one side and the cons on the other. We're so used to writing the cons that, oh, don't do this, that. I'm like, what would happen if you went back to school? What would happen if you left the job you've been at 20 years and did, you know, did the things that made you happy every day? Oh, what man. would happen if you did that? Um, uh, a medical doctor friend of mine who he does stem cells and all these amazing things this doc does um, asked me to come over for lunch one time to show him how to do a podcast. Because I can do a 20-minute podcast, start to finish, publish already up in under 60 minutes. And I said, I'm, I do real simple things. I don't do much editing. So I showed him how to do it all. And he, I'm like, Doc, you're busy as hell. Why do you want to add a podcast? And he's like, well, you know, you want something done, you give it to busy people. And he wanted to further himself. Right. You know? And I said, yeah, get your information out there. So what, what blows my mind is how often we get caught up into this narrative that I've already reached as far, like we said, I've already reached as far as I'm ever going to do. I'm working with this 82-year-old uh, stroke uh, victim. And, you know, I was very positive. Let's get you moving. He hadn't moved his arm in, in a few months. I got it moving. And we started talking about stuff. And I stood him up and I said, sir, you're not done. And his 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 what uh, not with wife yeah his wife and his daughter were with him, and I looked at him he's not done yet is he? Then we're going to keep him going. I think a lot of people like you said Doc they're twenty four year years old and they think they're done and they live to seventy five. Um, right. Yeah, I don't want to be on cruise control for decades. I just don't. And then a lot of people give up on their dream. Oh, I tried this it didn't work. I tried this it didn't work. You know, death by a thousand cuts. You know, crazy talk, like, I can't do it anymore. You know, I fall on my face. 
I don't know how many times you skinned your knees when you learned how to ride a bicycle, but I did a lot. And I right. knew when I was a toddler, I may have fallen once or twice to learn how to walk, but I didn't stop. And the culture didn't say, oh, no, Fred, you fell. Stay down. You're not good at it. Right. Well, I didn't have my little six, seven-year-old friend say, Fred, don't, you know, put those training wheels back on. You fell once. Ah! Right? So right. if you fail at a marriage, say you failed at parenting this month, say you failed at your business, what did you learn from it? And then fix that and move on. Oh, I was a bad parent today. Why? I was angry. Then fix it. Don't right. continue it. <laughs> you can break the cycle. That's the thing. Is like you, you can break the cycle. You're not forever stuck in it. You know, no. I have bills and, and I have this and this and this. Well, yeah, but, you know, make a plan if you, you know. Yeah, you don't want to, like, quit your job, like, off the spur of the moment. And be like, all right, bye. I'm, you know, moving to Europe. See ya. Well, I mean, maybe that would be good for some people. I don't know. Might be. But, but sometimes you got to break the cycle, and sometimes it's not an instant thing, but, you know, you also got to set a goal. And they were talking about there's a Harvard study that showed the most successful people in the world has nothing to do with demographics or anything like that. The only thing that they all have in common is they literally write down their goals. Yes. That's it. Yes. So if you want to leave your job, you want to change your life, write it down. Yeah. And, and put it where you can see it. Oh, yeah. man. And, and and it's real easy. Or you could have a symbol, have a picture of the, you know, the mountains of Italy. I'm going to move to Italy. There they are. Or the beach. If you're going to move someplace warm, have it up there and say, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm doing. Move forward that way. Um, right. I like competitive powerlifting because I have a goal. You know, oh, the nationals are coming up or the qualifying meets coming up right. or the worlds are coming up. I always have a goal and my plan changes every day in the gym according to how close I'm trying to get. And that should work with you in life too. Right. You know, your like, perspective is going to, okay, I, I got yeah. one for you on that, on your powerlifting because I'm going to forget if I don't bring this up. Because you talk about perspective and goals. What has changed? What has your perspective been has changed from when you were powerlifting at a young age to powerlifting at the age you are currently? Has oh. your perspective changed? Oh my! I know, I, I know you're still competitive and everything else, but I was going to ask you that. Well, well, I would just say it's more balanced now as uh, as I'm older. Um, if I look back at, uh, it's more balanced than what brings me happiness, as you say. It's more mature. If I look back at what I was when I was a kid, yeah, I was going to school and I had jobs. And when I was in college, 18, 19, you know, I had things to do. But I, what I did on the powerlifting platform held a lot of importance. You know, I was trying to get world records. I was trying to win this meet. And now for me, it's more about the people I interact with. Yes. Like uh, the world championships we had um, in Florida in November um, I think we had 19 countries finally since the pandemic. People are coming out. Um, and it was just all the different people I interact with, you know, good and bad. You know, I just right. it, it, I just love interacting with these people from all over because they have a whole different view of what makes life work. And, right. you know, it, it just expands me so much. So it's not only the challenge of trying to make my body perform better every time and do it in front of thousands or hundreds of people but also it's trying to like interact and and learn from more people so that's more important to me now um the the whole experience is more important to me now 
um, as opposed to when I was a kid. Um, and I also see it, it just, it's just, you know, I know it's a sport, it's a hobby. And if my body does break down, well, then I'll be a referee, which I'm starting to do anyway. Or, right. you know, I'll be a coach, which I've done forever. So I'm, I, I've got my hands more involved in it. Um, and I also appreciate every minute. My perspective changed. Like yesterday, we I had a great, great workout. I didn't go that heavy because I was sore. I went very light, in fact. But, you know, I got to enjoy, you know, helping my wife get through the end of her workout and some good conversations I had with um, people about old gyms and stuff like that. It was just great. It was a great social thing. So my perspective has changed. I try to squeeze more out of life with every right. moment and everything I do. Um, you know, when I interact with my kids now, you know, I, tr I try to make it more quality than quantity than, you know, and, and that's important. I wish I would have had this perspective when I was 18, when right. I was 15, 40 years ago, because, you know, I would have I would have appreciated and enjoyed more of everything I was doing um, because it, it, it just is fantastic to hang around people. When you when you get into athletics, the one right. thing I like about it is everyone's trying to win. <laughs> right. There's there's still true even even if it's two teams knocking the hell out of each other, each one is trying to be successful. There's no one on that field, you know, since what the Black Sox of 1919 or whatever it was, that is trying to throw the game. Everyone's right. trying to win, and right. that attitude carries. That's why people love athletics. That's why people in in what a week are going to be watching the Super Bowl. Spending money. That's why you coach. That's why you get into football. You, you know, we love watching winners. Right. What? You can be a winner, too. Right in your own seat. Become a winner. And I think that's, like I said, that's the purpose of life is to be a winner. It's to thrive. Period. And we forget that. We forget that sometimes. Yeah. But I was going to kind of boil down your statement about powerlifting. So, I mean, that's the thing is, is you can still be involved with things. Your role might change, your your perspective might change, but it's, you know, and that should be, you should evolve as you're, as the longer you're with things, like, you know, the longer you're doing something, ideally you want to involve, like you said, you, you know, you wish you could go back and look at, you know, some of the people in interactions now, but, you know, you can still be involved with a lot of things, everybody's like, I'm too old to do this, no, you can change your role a little bit and still be involved and you can still have that, that, uh, that camaraderie and that and that team thing. Yeah, you might not be the top powerlifter of the team anymore, and you might slip to more of a coaching role, but you can still get a lot out of it for coaching. And, you know, just because they're like, well, you know, I got a bad knee or my back and I can't lift anymore. Well, show up, help people work out, do a light workout if, you know, if it's possible, but you can still have interaction. But a lot of people hit a point where they're like, well, I'm too old to do it, and they just quit. And they, they're like, nope, I can't do what I originally did. Well, you got to, you know, part of evolution of a human and evolution as you get older is to have that ability to, you know, modify what you're doing because the involvement is what's more more important than the win-loss. Yeah, I know, understand people are super competitive. I'm one of those people. Um, but on the flip side, you know, being involved is better than, you know, at a, at a changed role. And there's nothing wrong with adapting your role. But that's what I kind of took away from that is, you know, it used to be all about, you know, how many records Fred's got. And now it's, you know, and I've, I've been with you at several different competitions and the worry it's, it's really funny because when you're in like, even your super competitive mode, except for the, like the 15 seconds it takes for you to lift, 
you're really a team oriented guy now. Where are you like, hey, you know, do we got this person set up? Is yeah. anybody helping this person? Yeah. Who's helping these guys warm up? And yeah. I don't know if you were probably like I said, I didn't I wasn't even on this planet yet when you were doing your 19, 20 year old stuff. But, you know, just from the stories you tell, and it's interesting to hear the stories when you talk about when you're 19 versus when you're older. And it's, you know, human perception, but you're still competitive. You're still pushing yourself, but pushing yourself. And if you want to really get good at the sport or you want to get good at anything, start teaching it or start being involved with teaching it. Mm -hmm. And you realize how many things you didn't know, didn't think about. Yeah. I teach animal chiropractic and then I also coach football. And I knew I know football really well. And I thought I knew animal chiropractic really well. And then I started teaching and I found a whole other level. And I've found a lot of satisfaction and a lot. I enjoyed the challenge of teaching because people have different perspectives and you have to be able to communicate and find different ways of explaining the same thing where in your mind it made sense. In their mind, you're talking Spanish and all they know is German. Like it's not going to happen. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of things, but that's called, you know, that adaptation, the thing we were talking about earlier. Um, You know what, Doc, to piggyback off of what you just said. By me teaching chiropractic, and I've been teaching since the '90s. Um, you know, bits and pieces. I taught. Uh, I taught pediatric neurology. Neurology. I taught immune system. I've taught X-ray reading. I've ta- taught radiology. Taught histology, um, the pathology of injuries. I've taught all kinds of things. And what blew my mind is and and i hate it sounds very naive but i guess i was naive for a long while i was really naive being divorced a couple times i had to be naive i really thought that everyone wanted to thrive and i'm shocked at and my colleagues out there and this is not the slight chiropractic because this goes for any profession right people stop growing as intellectually after they graduate or after a few years, you know, people get into their pattern and they're comfortable. And I'm like, I don't want to be comfortable. I, you know, why would you want to be comfortable? Because you can't grow. There's no resistance to grow against, to push against, because as soon, you know, like, like we've been saying this whole podcast, which you'll probably give it a good title. You know, you either get busy living, you get dying. And I knew that from an early young age. Right. And I, you know, if I can't lift the same amount of weight, I'm going to add more things like coaching, you know, and making sure and handling and making sure everyone's doing what they need to do, you know, and I I would rather I would rather go down getting better than have a heart attack watching Netflix on the couch, drinking my beer, eating my Twinkies. You know, I I just don't get it. Um, Why people don't want to thrive. And, you know, there's a lot of psychological things with that, but I think a lot of them are more cultural, you yeah. know, where, and, and we can, we can pick on each other a little bit, but say you wanted to move out of state and start chiropractic. Why wasn't your family behind it hundred percent and getting, renting you the U-Haul the next day and moving you out? Because that was, right, right. that was on paper, a huge positive move for you. Oh yeah. Right, you, right. Your money's going to be tight and this is going to be bad, but no, just go, 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 go. I mean, I I remember when I moved here, how I hardly had any support for going to chiropractic school. And I right. mean it, financial, zip. Um, intellectual, emotional, almost zip. 
And I look back at that and I'm like, I will never, ever do that to my kids. We're breaking that chain. But, it, and it's not to badmouth my parents who are deceased. Right. But it's just like, you know, why wouldn't you push? You know, like, for example, my sister just bought a house like yesterday on the oh. beach in Delaware. And I'm like, yeah, way to go. I'm texting her, your dream house and all this. We're going back and forth. You know, she's five blocks from the beach and she got a good deal and all this. And she's like, well, I I guess I can't retire because it ain't cheap. And I said, no, you don't need to retire, but you got your dream house. Way to go. And, you know, I think she was taken back by how overwhelmed I was. But I'm like, what a great goal to hit, you know, moving from the city. Now you got a beach house in Delaware. Amazing. How did you figure that out at your work? You know, because you're going to go remote. You only have to go in once a week. How did you figure this out? You right. know, what great stuff. I want to learn from that. I want to enjoy that. Because I look, if someone, I, and this is why we like sports. This is why you're a Nebraska fan. You know, yeah. if I wear a red shirt, even though I have nothing to do with a Nebraska team, right? Right. I win too. Well, you know, this is the idea of community. If one person in our community wins, we all win. Rising waters raise all the boats, even the tiny dinghies, you know. So I just could never understand why people didn't want to encourage each other. Neighbors, friends, you know. Hey, I won the lottery. Yeah. You know, that means your house is going to look better and, our, you know, our, our real estate prices will grow up. Or, hey, you know, we have a new doctor in the neighborhood. Or, you know, this person has done this accomplishment. Way to go. That brings value to all of us as human beings. I could never understand why we wouldn't want to push the human race forward so we could unveil our potential. Right? No, you you're spot on. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. You you have the sports teams analogy where you know, I I have the end of my hat, Nebraska wins, we all win. But then you go down to the business aspect. And we villainize people who are successful in business to a point. Makes you know, no sense. It makes know, no of, sense. You know, Thank I mean, God for Walmart. Now, I'm a small businessman. I hate when Walmart comes in and takes out the small businesses. We need a balance. But could you imagine Amazon? You know, right. I use it every day. I'm looking at Amazon boxes now. Why? I have saved, and people say, Fred, how do you do podcasts? How do you run as kids? You want the truth? Amazon. Time. Yeah. Yeah, I have more time now. If I need to go get a new shower curtain, I can go click, 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 boom. And I don't have to go to Target or wherever, even the small, and get it. Now, does that change how we do things? Yeah, but I'm also balanced. I actually spend more time in the mom and pie shops. So now I have right. time to t- to hang out at the local restaurant that is owned by a mom and pie. I didn't have that time before because we right. were that. Or when my wife is busy and I'm busy, groceries. You can do it online now. Cost of food. But, you know, I got kids. I'm like, oh, look, the groceries are coming at 6 a.m. I'll have them away at 7. I'll be at the clinic by 8. Perfect. I could not have done that 20 years ago. You can't make more time up ever. I mean, that's the thing is time is your most valuable resource. People badmouth the owner of Amazon. I think what an amazing genius. And now everyone's doing it. And they're doing it independently. So there's almost every one of the grocery stores, and I live in St. Paul, it's a pretty big city, every one of them has some type of delivery service. Or you pull up, and they'll deliver it to your car, and you right. leave. 
And I'm like, what a great thing for busy single parents or whatever. What an amazing thing. Why would you badmouth the individual who started that? I don't get it. I mean, really, are we badmouthing Edison? Well, we can because he stole everything from Tesla. I was going to say, I'm like, ooh, we could open down that rabbit hole yeah, a while. But. but you know what I mean? We don't badmouth electricity and no. the person who made it good. You know, it blows my mind. When I hear people badmouth the guy who did Microsoft, and again, his political leanings and all that aside, but he helped invent this laptop that we're talking through. I right. mean, why aren't we saying we 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 need more people than that Amazon? We need more people like that, you know, because we say, oh, you know, look at the guy who owns Facebook. Oh, my goodness. he's. And I said, well, you know what? Then start another Facebook. Yeah, we need fine. more people that are that you know, positive that, that goes out and does that. We are not celebrating achievement. No. No, because if you celebrate achievement, that means you're actually going to have to, you know, put the Twinkie down, put the Coke down, yes. actually have to get up and go do things, yeah. which is all one of the reasons I hate when people, re I, I hate the word retirement. I just hate it. I have a lot of patients who they retire and I'm at their funeral two years later. Because they, when they retire, they find that couch, they find the Twinkie, they find the Coke, they turn around for around here, their old Westerns, and they're done. And I'm like, you, you quit growing, you quit thriving. Around here, the people who live the longest are the ag people. They don't retire, they slow down, other people start doing their job, and their role changes, but they still wake up, they still have a purpose every day. And I, and I think part of it is we, we as a society, as individuals, lack purpose in our life, you know? Why should... <laughs> Why should I get better? I really, you know, I just got to wake up and I got to go do this. It's like, well, find a purpose. The things and purpose doesn't only make you passionate, but I mean, if your purpose is to help people and I mean, you don't and you're like, well, the job I do doesn't help people. Well, do your job well enough, make enough money and start your charity, whatever, and then yep. help your people. You don't have to have a direct. You can have an indirect effect on your job can indirectly help people if you make that own link, but it's without the lack of purpose. And I think that's what drives more people nuts than anything. I think that's the biggest reason we bash people in society is because Musk and Bezos and Bill Gates and, Zuc and Zuckerberg all found a purpose. Yes. And their purpose hasn't led to high success. And I think we bash it. You know, we can enjoy these sports teams but when it comes to our own personal growth, our own personal intelligence, our own personal business. If we can't find the purpose that to, to go with it, then we get complacent and in order, and we bash people who have it because if I have to go find my purpose, it means I'm going to have to actually spend time away from the TV and away from this and away from that, and away from other things, TikTok, social media, and focus on myself. So it's easier for me to bash you because you're successful because you found a purpose and that purpose has made you push and grow where, you know, I haven't found that purpose. And so therefore, I don't really feel the need to. I'm just going to do my job. Oh. oh, purpose. Well, and this is the problem with modern society. Our purpose before we talked about it is surviving the next 24 right. hours, right? Right. Now yeah. that's easy. It's yep. it, it's relatively easy in most societies. And I know some people are living on the streets or whatever, but let's just say the majority of the population, it is easy. You get mm -hmm. up, there's a roof over your head, there's food especially in first world nations. We're not talking about India or some of these no, no. horrible places. But, you know, for Americans, it's, it's fairly easy. Well, we're not taught 
how to, you know, have that purpose, find that purpose. And if your purpose is helping other people, everything you do, like you said, a job, you're going to church, whatever it is, leads you to go help people. Your it could be your career. Um, and that and that's just beautiful. I mean, that I've seen some of the in, interviews with Gates and all that. Their purpose wasn't to make money when they started. Their no. purpose was I want to be I want people to be exposed to the entire world in their hands, a, a computer, and make things faster and easier for them. Wow, what a huge concept. That drove them and they did well. You know, if you ask anyone who's done any type of development or invent anything, it's because they wanted things better. I invented a chiropractic technique because I thought all the other chiropractic techniques were too slow and they sucked. We should be faster than that. And guess what? I found a way to do it. Now, if I if I was complacent and said, oh, I like my Gonstead technique or my Thompson technique, motion palpation, diversified, upper cervical specific, the things that I was really good at, you know, um, Cox table. What else did I learn? Oh, my Jesus. I learned so many. Um, CBP, <laughs> chiropractic biophysics, you know, I, and Pettibon, Burrow, me, me and Burrow had long talks. Um, so, you know, all these things that I had in there, I'm like, this is too long. You know, the nervous system is quicker than this. Try to figure it out. Let me build a better mousetrap. And I did. That's what drove me. And I still try to add things to it every day, that technique. That's what drives me. That's my passion. That's my purpose is to make things faster and better and help more complicated conditions. Wow, I could I could get up every day and want to go to work, which I do. I hate people when they get up and they're like, oh, I don't want to go to my job. Get another job. Find a different purpose, you know. Like you said, if you have to indirectly use your job to get money so you can give it away, yeah. Oh, I love my, I hate accounting. I hate my accounting job, but I get four weeks off a year that I can do missionary work in Haiti. Great. Then love your job because you're going to, and try to get more vacation so you can go help other people. You right. know, there's ways to find a passion and a purpose in what you're trying to do. But we don't talk about passion. No. We try to calm people down. Hey, don't you think you're working out too much? You oh, take the diet thing too seriously. I think you're working too much. Are you reading all those books? Do you really need to go back to school? You know, hey, I don't think you should get married again. That's a lot of kids you're taking on. <laughs> I've, I've heard, I love it when um, I had somebody close to me say, Fred, that's a lot of kids you're taking on and you got stepkids. I'm like, well, I have a lot of love to give. And I have right. so much love, I need more people to spread it out over. Jaw right. open, eyes open, they had no reply. No. And because, of course, <laughs> how do you answer that? Because it's the truth, you know? And it's like today, I know I have a couple free hours to do this call. And then we're going to go see the 20-year-old who's up in St. Cloud, an hour and a half away. I'm like, I'm looking at my calendar. I'm looking at my calendar. We have no time. Today's the only day. Called her up. We're going to go up and take her, take her to dinner. Guess what? That's what you do. And, right. you know, if busy people can do more things. I, I don't sit on the couch much. I actually had to put in couch sitting time now. I do. We, me and my wife had. 
since Yellowstone came out, we're getting through. Oh, Yellowstone. there it is. We got we got through all the prequels. What 1886 and 1923. 1923 is not done yet. Don't give me that. Oh, I know, but it, it, we we've won, we watched the first year. Oh my oh, goodness, yeah. that was good. So we're we, we're watching all these prequels and all these shows, but we had to make time for them. But guess what? We pick. We don't pick right. garbage. We're not watching no. Friends. You know, we're watching <laughs> shows. You, you, you just hurt. You hurt somebody's feelings right there. Not mine. All right, I'm, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my Friends analogy. Oh my boy, Friends was I've never seen a Friends episode all the way through. I didn't know who the characters were. Because guess what? I had one TV in my big house in Prior Lake. It was in the basement, and it was usually just for sporting events. I I watched educational videos on my laptop or my desktop. I had a desktop. Um, computer. And guess what? I just didn't watch sitcoms. Why? Because that's not my form of comedy. I like stand up. I like being there live for stand up. Oh. But I just, I just, I don't watch many comedy movies because it doesn't help me push myself forward. Now, right. I've learned to watch some situational comedies for levity to let myself, I've learned that. But I could never see watching a show that actually teaches you how not to be a friend, right? How right. not to be successful, and that being mediocre is okay. <laughs> Ooh, man! I don't want that going into my head. <laughs> no, but wait, wait a minute. So you're saying that the things we watch, interact, and listen to have an effect on our mental being, and actually can either uh, provocate for us to be successful or provocate for us to be mediocre? Absolutely. What? No. As I always tell everyone. You don't want to be the strongest human being in the gym. You don't want to be the best bodybuilding in your bodybuilder in your gym. You don't want to be the strongest crossfitter in your gym. You don't want to be the best football player on your team. Because how are you going to be pushed? Right. I mean, I, I remember when, God, it was over eight, nine years ago. Um, I was coaching Mike Musselman in a powerlifting meet. He is a doctor in southern Minnesota, a good friend of mine, God Stutter. And I uh, showed up at this powerlifting meet. He asked me, he goes, I'm trying to compete again. Can you help me out this meet? So I show up. You know, I've been working out at one of those, you know, cheap, you know, 24-hour places a little bit. Not powerlifting, you know, a skinny mini at 250. Yeah, I had abs, but I was weak, I was, I was weak as a, a, a wet sheet of paper. I mean, it was terrible. So anyway, uh, you know, I probably could only squat four or 500 pounds. It was terrible. But again... You know, I'm coaching him, I'm rapping his knees and all that. And uh, a friend of mine said, well, Mike Mike goes, Mike Musselman, and thank you, Mike, for introducing me, introduced me to this team nemesis. And I went right to the guy. I knew who the guy was. I went right to him, you know, priest, we call him. And I go, hey, priest. And I said, great to meet you. I've read your stats. You're a fantastic power lifter. And he goes, well, why don't you come power lift with us? And I said, I don't work out. I train. And if I come back, I'm going to I'm going to compete and I don't want to compete in the local shows. I like compete on the national world level because I don't want to be, you know, the biggest fish in Minnesota. I want to compete on a right. national world level. Makes no sense. Why would I just want to be the biggest powerlifter in my weight class in Minnesota? Who cares? Right. And he started smiling at me, smacked me in the shoulder, didn't even know who I was. And he goes, we're the team for you. And of course, that was the first thing they did. They trained for national meets. Right. Now, not all the team went, but everything we do is just like you do it in a meet. First team I've ever seen do that. 
And just that, that, and Belinda's, my wife tells everyone we get started the same thing. Like, oh, I'm trying to train for the Twin Cities Open, you know? And I'm like, that's great, but train for nationals. In your mind, train that you're trying to qualify for nationals. Oh, I could never go to nationals. Uh, You probably shouldn't be on our team. So, no, No. you you train for that and you'll blow the local competition out of the water. Yes. I mean, and, and that's the Nick Saban approach of like, you know, or anybody else. If if you plan, you train like you are the next, the opening weekend is you're in the national championship game. Yes. You know, you, yes. you, know, you I, mean, I mean, you grind daily because you're like, I'm going to beat whatever the top team is that's yes. out there and I'm going to go. And everybody, but everybody's like, well, you have, you know, I, I use, I'm a Nebraska fan. So we use like the Big Ten. I'm like, well, you have the Big Ten national championship and you still got to get through these guys. If I'm trained to beat Alabama and I'm trained, or, you know, boxing, if I'm trained to beat Mike Tyson, yeah, ain't nobody's going to come around, especially if Tyson is prime. If that's who I'm looking at, yeah. there's nobody's going to hold a client. You know, the local, local Yoko, yeah, they're, they're good for local. But I mean, if you're training to beat the best, your game is so much higher naturally. I mean, that's just, and that's the thing is, is we've got it in our heads anymore. And, and I'll go back to society that we are not qualified to be the best. And for somehow oh. we used to be, you know, that was the thing is back when we were the number one country in the world, in my opinion, is it's like, well, I, you know, we're going to train to be the best and we're going to be the best because that's who we are. And now anymore, it's like, well, you're not qualified to be the best guy. Why? Well, you know, this or this or this. And it's like, well, it's bullshit. Because if you want to be the best, go out and get it. You know, there's no reason. And even, if you, even if you fall short, you're still going to be farther ahead than you were if you never tried to go after the best guy. Oh, exactly. So our whole society is like this. Remember the cars that came out of Detroit in the 1950s to the 70s? Oh, you yes. couldn't kill those damn things. I mean, you can't kill them now. Now the Japanese put out the products. But you couldn't kill them things. Where do you think the Japanese after World War II learned that work ethic? From an American. The Americans showed them how to do it. Now, they took it a step better. And that's what you should do. Yeah, if you think about it, our products are temporary. Our phones, oh, they're bad in a year or two. Why? Why does this laptop have to be changed every two, three years? Makes no sense. We're making things disposable and replaceable instead of things that last. You know, and that's that's the thing that really kills me. It's like, why, 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 why? So when I used to train that the team I did with, you know, we I I remember I came I was in high school and it was a Monday. I walked into homeroom and everyone asked me, Fred, why weren't you at the sock hop, the Sadie Hawkins dance? Why weren't you at that? I was in Dallas helping out the Masters Nationals. My coach was lifting and they're like, what? So I got to go to the nationals, the world, hang out with these people. I remember when the goal was beat the Russians. Remember that? For everyone. Right. Olympic sports. Let's beat the top people. Let's train. We're not doing that anymore. Oh, no. you know, satisfy yourself. If you feel okay in a safe room, it's okay. Do you need a safe space? No. The goal is to beat the Russians, Ukrainians, Bulgarians, beat the strongest human beings in the world. Let's beat them. Now, you may not reach that goal, but you, you're going to blow away your local and national competition. Why not be the best? I uh, just watched a, uh, and I watch these documentaries. That's what I watched Netflix for on Usain Bolt, um, fastest man in the world. 
how he trained dirt track the track sucked he's pulling a sled that's rusted i mean he did not have the things that we have in america at a local no. high school has better and how did he become the during his time the fastest human in the world with that training because the training didn't matter it was his attitude he wanted to be the fastest man in the world from a right. little tiny country called Jamaica that has dirt tracks, that has rocks. Like you see the coach pulling the rocks out of the field so he can run on it. I'm like, oh, my God. You know? right. And I'm like, it's amazing. He didn't have good weights. They had little rusty dumbbells they're using. And I'm like, oh, my God. He had a stopwatch that was analog. And I'm like – this is amazing. And guess right. what? There, I forget which uh, Olympic was, but there was a, a the relay that the Jamaican team won. And there was one race, I think it was the 200, that the top three were all from Jamaica, the same coach. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This little fat man with an analog, uh, analog thing, they don't have the sports nutrition. They don't have the science. All they have is what? A passion and a purpose. And his oh, purpose there it wasn't, is. His purpose wasn't to win the nationals. It's a tiny little country. I think I think Nebraska's bigger than Jamaica. <laughs> you know, it's like I want to be the fastest person, you know, in this championship. No, fastest man in the world. Screw the Olympics. Fastest man in the world. And guess what? His other two colleagues that he ran with, his training partners, became number two and three. <laughs> right. I remember watching you know. that race and it blew my mind. They didn't talk about it at the time, but they should have said, why can't America do that? Why can't other countries do that? How do you get number one, two, and three in the same Olympic finals, all from the same little country that you have to pick the pebbles out of the track because it's dirt. <laughs> because they all ran with a purpose and they yes. that was their one goal and that's it purpose drives you farther than anything else yes it's, it's better than the equipment you use it's better than nutrition your purpose will take you farther than anything else but the problem is you actually have to find it and yeah. then once you find it you have to focus on that and that is it you know we get distracted by like well you know i want to be here and all of a sudden you look to the left and you're like, oh, what's going on over here? And you wander and you don't stay that focused, driven person. Because here's the thing. When you're focused and driven, you're not going to have all the friends in the world because you don't yep. have time for all the friends in the world. Yep. Your circle shrinks. You know, you're not going to be the popular one because when you're focused and driven, when you're beginning or even a long way into it, but, you know, you're going to be that guy. And you're going to repel certain people and you're going to get criticized and – you know, if you can take it, then you're going to be hugely successful. But more people stop and they're like, well, I started to get a little success. And, you know, everybody said I need to work less and I need to, you know, slow down a little bit. Well, that might not be your purpose to slow down. You might not be hitting the, the, the achievement you need to. And then you don't, you know, then the other things go wrong. But, no, I feel like, you know, that's a pretty big thing. I realize we've been doing this going for a little while. So I feel like we should probably wrap this up. Um, we're going to have to do this again. Really oh, this is great. This. I, oh, this is, this is a fun time. It's been kind of fun to actually, you know, ask the host and pick on the host a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been an honor for me to, to be able to be that guy who's like, well, we're going to flip the tables on you and, and see how it goes. Uh, for me, I've, I've had a blast. Uh, yeah, but we're going to have to do this again. We've, 
I mean, there's still some questions on that I've written down that we never got to, but I figure two two hours in, that's a pretty good chunk of conversation there. Yeah, we'll leave it at well, that. I, I I do wanna I do wanna leave something for all the listeners, you know, and you just hit on it, and so we'll finish with this: is you know, finding that group of purpose driven people. Find your group. Find I I did a podcast on finding your tribe. It was more like. Yep finding people that validate you. You need people that push you around. So I guarantee in my physical state right now, I will never be the strongest person in the gym, but I'm going to work my ass off to it. You know, um, you know, two of my colleagues are getting their squats too close to 800 pounds. And I'm like, okay, I got to get off my butt now because I ain't letting them beat me. I'm just not, I don't care how old I am and broken down. No. One of them weighs a lot less than you do, too. Yeah, yeah. And the, the positive, that positive uh, uh, competition is okay. You want right. people to drive you. You don't want to be the smartest one in the classroom. Find something. You you want that purpose driving you and get people around you that also have a purpose and ready for this are better for you. Like uh, the right. Bible says, oh. iron sharpens iron. And what that really means is you want people just like you that are on their best game doing their best things. Um, you look at Tom Brady again. Right. Yeah. He, uh, he went to retire. He's in his 40s. And he go, and he's like, I don't want to retire yet. I'm going to go down to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was a mediocre to less than mediocre team. And one year they won the Super Bowl. Right. Now, I'm sorry. You can't, you can't exchange every player in one year. It just doesn't work that way in the NFL. Well, how did he do it? Because he got everybody on purpose. Right. Everybody was on the same page, pushing for the championship. And of course, he showed up, and he's and like none of them had the culture of winning playoffs, much less a Super Bowl. And he's like, "Oh yeah, let's win the Super Bowl. Big deal. I already won five. And that's sure. his normal. That's his normal state of being. So guess what? They won the Super Bowl. And I, I, I'm laughing because. When it when they won the Super Bowl, they they're Tom Brady, Tom Brady, but Tom Brady had a, ten other people around him and eleven on defense and eleven right. on small teams. It's right. like you had to get the whole team and the coaches and the administration and the front office involved on it. And it's like that's why it was driven. They became the purpose wasn't oh let's have a winning season. No, it was the purpose, like, yeah. Super Bowl. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna do it. And, and so, yeah, the, the thing is you find you find that group that has that purpose and that pushes you. But on the flip side, also recognizes your achievements and loves you up when you start hitting your achievements. Yeah. So not only are they pushing you, but you also get the pause, the turnaround of like, dude, did you see you hit this? This is huge. You can still be hungry, but you still want those people to recognize you, you know, around you that also recognize some of those achievements where you're not grinding the whole time that, yeah, you can celebrate those small achievements of, yeah, you know, you had – you had a business that made, you know, 20, 30,000 this month. That's great. I know your goal is 50, but recognize yeah. the 30, yeah. pat yourself on the back, give yourself a quick little, like couple hours of celebrating that and then get back to the grind. So you want that push and a little bit of reward, not to the point that everybody's like, all right, well, you've hit your 30,000. Now you're done. Be like, no, I know we're going for more. Let's, let's, you know, be happy about this goal we've set, you know, or we've close to the goal and let's keep pushing. So, I mean, there's a nice balance. If you find the right people growing is, you no longer think about growing. It's secondhand. Yeah. The the drive and the purpose 
will push you. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, in a matter of a year's time, you don't recognize the person you were last year. Yeah. And, and that's hard. That's hard because just like you said, you're going to lose friends. I'm sorry. You're oh. going to lose family. And I don't mean they're going to disappear or die. They just, it's hard to get around someone who's constantly purpose driven unless right. you are. <laughs> right. I well, have I no trouble hanging out with winners, whether they're politicians or they're millionaires or pro athletes, because the one thing in common I always have with them is having a purpose and right. trying to win every day. Why not win at life? You can win right. at life and it has nothing to do with your bank account, though that's a little bit. But, you know, if you get up every day and say, I want to win, what can I win at today? What can I thrive at? Wow. Let's be Huge. winners. Right there. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, Luke. I really appreciate this. Oh, it was a blast, Fred. I appreciate it. It was a it was a true honor. I had a blast today.